Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil Podcast. Back in my day, the PC came on the disc! Oh, you know, he's got a hard-on for the, for the two men. <laughs> Jesus. What's a Resident Evil game without a chance? Would, would it be easy to say you smell something strange? I do, I do smell something very strange. The way I am with the Resident Evil 3 remake is that I just simply don't care about it. And I actually mean that as a positive. That should they ever marry, then she will actually become... Jill Sandwich. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to episode 58 of the now rebranded Resident Evil podcast. We may have changed our name, but we have not changed our identity and passion for the Resident Evil series. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. He's the Cape Crusader of the Resident Evil world. It's Batman. Evening. He's streaming and playing Resident Evil 6, so we don't have to. It's Star Siren. Hello. He's a veteran Resident Evil fan with a taste for new blood. It's Rombie. Hello. And finally, he's been given the all clear after his face and head started to turn a shade of crimson is George Trevor. Hello. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. This is going to be one of those ones. <laughs> Coming up on today's podcast, which I'm sure you'll know is the first in our new season, season six, we'll be looking at the latest news before cracking open the champagne to celebrate 20 years of Resident Evil Co-Veronica, the original Dreamcast exclusive. And after the controversial ending of last season's quiz, we start afresh once again with season six of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. We have lots to get through, but we'll start with the news... A bit of special news to kick off proceedings. As you would have seen by now on our Facebook and Twitter and Discord, we have released a little teaser trailer for what we have been teasing for quite a while now. Our brand new website, www.resentevilpodcast.com. You can go there now. You can't see a lot, but there's a little coming soon tidbit. It is our brand new website and suddenly it all becomes clear as to why we have changed our name. This has been in the works for a good couple of months and we look forward to sharing with you the completed project going forward. I personally want to say a big thanks to Rob as well for his excellent trailer and our friend of the show Sonny Bauer for his voiceover work. Uh, the Resident Evil podcast uh, has always been a podcast for all with a wide range of knowledge and skills that we hope everyone finds enjoyable. The website will be our DLC if you like, a place where we can bring extra content to the masses. For example, it will be the home to my previous editorials and Resident Evil Gaiden, as well as the answer card for Biohazard Stars 2, so people can play along with that. But there will be lots of other things coming when the website
site is launched very soon, but it's not a dedicated fan site like Biohaze or something like that. So don't expect an article-based uh, website. It's just our little add-on for the for the podcast. Our main focal point will continue to be the podcast, but it's something we hope everyone will enjoy. I can also announce that to celebrate the launch of the website, be sure to keep your eyes on our social media outlets in the coming weeks. We'll be running a special free-to-enter competition for both Facebook and Twitter that you will certainly want to enter. The reason? Well, we're giving away a couple of prizes. So the top prize will be a brand new copy of Resident Evil 7 for Xbox One, signed by director Koshi Nakanishi (laughs) Nakanishi? and producer... Masashinka Kawata. So that is our very special prize. A sign. Very cool prize. It, it is never fails, Nick. It never fails. <laughs> I just can't. Re- I just can't read just English, sure, Japanese. Nick, just make sure you spell the names correctly when you sign the copy. <laughs> <laughs> They are signed by the uh, director and producer, so um, that's exciting. And our second prize, there'll be two up for grabs. Uh, John? If you're not an Xbox owner and you don't want the game, the alternative prize is a Biohazard 4 soundtrack book, which is a collectible art book with two audio CDs with the game soundtrack. Biohazard Revelations art book, Biohazard 5 art book, Biohazard 6 art book, and a t-shirt of some description. We'll be doing that prize and showing you how to enter just as the website launches and then we'll announce the winners in a future podcast so the first big bit of gaming news of course was that Resident Evil 3 Nemesis trailer was released the second trailer should I say entitled Nemesis it showed a lot more of the big man in action also had good looks at Tyrrell and Murphy Nikolai and Mikhail and that was all followed up with some bios on the Resident Evil social media outlets as well episode 59 will be our final Resident Evil 3 preview so we won't go into too much detail but what's everyone's thoughts on the new trailer I think Nemesis looks great in action and uh, like I said in the video I put up on the YouTube um, I'm a lot more uh, comfortable with this one. In the run-up to Resident Evil 2, I was despairing at the kind of damage it was going to do to the series. But because we know the sort of stance that Resident Evil 2 took, uh, I'm sort of all for them just going crazy and, and uh, really embracing the changes they can make. So yeah, I'm quite intrigued with it. I just hope that, you know, once we get it out of the way, we can get back on track with the, you know, pushing the story forward. But as a game, it looks great fun. Nemesis looks great in action. And I'm continuing to be impressed with how they seem to have depicted Jill because she seems entirely accurate which was one of the biggest problems I had with Resident Evil 2 and its characters, the remake. I am warming to the look of Nemesis a lot more now seeing the full artwork. I kind of like the design a bit more than I originally did. The characters as a redesigner for a remake I think are, are all good. I think Carlos is still the only one that I'm a little bit not perfect about but everyone else looks like a version of the character and if they're all based off this photogrammetry thing for the RE engine then it means that they've found people that fit the original designs reasonably pretty well I think which is pretty impressive to be honest I'm slightly more enthusiastic actually about the game now I think this style over the shoulder it lends itself more to a more action based game whereas RE2 the remake fell down after you left the RPD and kind of the atmosphere went for me if this is more 
action orientated and you know the streets and, and nemesis for me look wonderful i'm kind of more looking forward to it almost treating it like i'm you know the, the the resident evil 3 installments from umbrella chronicles and almost like just a, an off the rails version of that my own head canon will always be the original r3 and so i'm i'm not going to get heads up about the changes i'm kind of yeah i'm sort of looking forward to it as a just a action-based resident evil game with an re3 skin you said your head canon will be re3 that could still be the actual canon batman yeah i would echo those opinions i mean it's a reimagining of three isn't it so i'm wanting them to embrace the change and from the looks of these two trailers they seem to be pushing it even further than what they did with resident evil 2 i'm very pleased that the ubcs characters seem to be getting a bigger role you know characters like tyrell going to the rpd with carlos and cable car now being in the subway and there seems to be raccoon city survivors in there with them so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it and you know once we have the complete reimagined story of Raccoon City available I think then we can sort of delve deeper into the canon and, and where it's going to sit in the larger series going forward Next bit of news still relates to Resident Evil 3 is that Capcom have released details finally of the European Collector's Edition for a mere £215 you get a copy of, of Resident Evil 3 the lenticular package uh, version the nice to Jill Valentine statue the two disc physical soundtrack CD something you didn't get in the American release art book and reversible map of Raccoon City poster don't forget the wonderful collectible box that it all comes in the collectible box yes the artwork though is I think the only thing I'm really really interested in Project N and Project R and obviously referring to Nemesis and I'm guessing Resistance that will be interesting to see if there's any kind of additional lore and background information on this particular Nemesis see if it differs at all from the uh, information from the OG Resident Evil 3 but oh these collector's edition how did you get on in pre-ordering that Sean? Why? Why, Nick? Why would you do this to me? Basically, the uh, sale went live at four o'clock in the afternoon while I was at work, and an hour later it was sold out. So, yeah, mm. that's great. And um, I just find it just really disappointing that for fans of the series, and I know a lot of people missed out on this collector's edition, to then go on eBay and see yeah. literally dozens on there for three times the asking price is a problem that's becoming ever more common with these collector's editions and things like that. It's disgusting. Because this is exactly the same thing that happened with the Resident Evil 2. It happens with every collector's edition yeah. and every special whatever and doesn't isn't just video games it might be music and movies and all that sort of stuff it's the same thing unfortunately it's pretty disgusting whether it's worth it even at 215 is a different question entirely also someone's mocked up i've seen going around twitter a code veronica one which yeah, is quite awesome. a really good job <laughs> yeah final bit of gaming news again kind of tags on a bit to Resident Evil 3 uh, Resident Evil Resistance which of course is coming as part of Resident Evil 3 uh, CVX Freak who uh, is well known in the community he's picked up a dummy box of Resident Evil 3 and he revealed to the world that Resistance looks to be an online only game so the much fabled offline singular player mode is in fact Resident Evil 3 so uh, anyone looking to play single player for Resistance is going to be slightly disappointed yeah and obviously this then goes in with the announcement that um, official PlayStation magazine said that Resistance has effectively replaced Mercenaries for the yes. remake. It's, it's a real it's, shame. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a shame because it's so important. I really think the Mercenaries mode in Resident Evil 3 was really the first time a mini game in the franchise really became its yeah. own thing. And uh, so 
that's really important. It's obviously something that they continue to play with, you know, right through numerous sequels. So it's a shame not to see a, a new version of it. And this, but you never know; they could add it later as a DLC for free, even because they've done that before. So we'll wait and see. It looks okay, in my opinion, and it, it could be the thing that persuades me to buy PlayStation Online or whatever it's called to actually go online it's, and play with you guys. I mean, we played the beta, and it's actually not bad. It's actually pretty good. It's just how much depth it's got to it will determine how long it lasts. It's unfortunate because it's just taken a scenario that they could have placed the characters from the main game and, you know, you could have played as, you know, Mikhail and, and the different UBSC and, and, you know, maybe even Dario and instead we've got these teenagers instead. It's a shame. I think they're just trying to add a bit of narrative flair to the online part, which I, I guess makes sense. And who knows, eventually there might be unlockable characters that are based off franchise anyway, like they often do for these things. Uh, we've got a tiny bit of site news. Myself, Neptune, moi, will be attending Portsmouth Gaming and Anime Convention representing the Resident Evil podcast. I will be doing my very own panel slash podcast workshop. Uh, it promises to be a good day, uh, even if I'm not there, but I am. Uh, my first ever convention and first ever panel, so naturally I am bricking it, but never mind. But if anyone is in the local area, so along the south coast, please, please, please come along and say hi to me. And join me for my panel. Anyone there will be uh, gratefully received. <laughs> I will be attending on Sunday the 1st of March 2020. It's on for two days, on the 29th of February and the 1st of March, but I'll only be there on the 1st of March. I'll be there all day on the convention floor, but my panel will be taking place at 3 o'clock. If there's any changes to this, obviously we'll update Twitter, Facebook and our Discord service. How much is the autograph and photo opportunity? <laughs> 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 because it's my first if anyone wants a photograph why would they why the fuck would they want a photograph of me you can still get discounted tickets they're available at www.portsmouthanimecon.com uh, here you find all the details other guests are attending and obviously links to the cheaper day tickets and how to get there in Portsmouth it should be exciting I am looking forward to it is there going to be a section in the workshop on how to host the perfect quiz <laughs> they should be asking me yes yes Uh, so final bit of site news, just a bit of um, very quick streaming news podcast. As you know, we've all been playing Code Veronica. Something that, Rob, you've just done as a kind of experiment to see how well it goes down in the community. A highlight, lowlight video detailing your playthrough. Yeah, I chucked together my very many lowlights and a few highlights. I mean, a few gameplay tips and chucked together a little video. It's about half an hour and a commentary over the top. So I thought I'd see what people thought of it so far. It seems pretty positive. So Yeah, it's well maybe. worth checking out. Lots of in- interesting tidbits bits that people may not know about Code Veronica and so forth. That does conclude the news so we now turn our attention to 20 glorious years of Resident Evil Code Veronica. Happy birthday my old friend. This prison's been taken over. Troops have been wiped out. What are you saying? You're free to leave the complex. 
But you may as well know, you have no chance of getting off this island. And what about you? What are you going to do? Don't worry about me. Ah, uh, Code Veronica, the original rule breaker entry into the series. The first to skip from the PlayStation and to the Dreamcast and showcase what was then next gen graphics and what graphics they were. Between the high quality FMVs and in game cutscenes, this was Resident Evil like we'd never seen before. Taking all the best bits about the classic PlayStation trilogy, updating the tank controls and pre rendered backgrounds, whilst digging into Umbrella's history on an Umbrella owned island. Surely it's the ultimate Resident Evil experience. Well, Code Veronica has a checkered history. It's too long, the controls are rubbish, storyline ushered in the supernatural elements we see in future titles are just many of the complaints that have been levied against it. So, 20 years since the Dreamcast launch, we are celebrating this seminal title in the only way we know how, a retrospective playthrough of the game. We've all dug into our old copies and played through it, and we're now going to basically go through the entire game and what we picked up on all our best bits, worst bits, as it may be the case, um, any, any particular quirks or reactions that have happened in the game that we just want to celebrate today. Before we start, though, player versions. What version was everyone playing, Sean? So I was on the HD version on the PlayStation 3, the actual download one off the EU PlayStation Network. George? I initially put in the physical copy. I've got the Asian physical copy of the HD selection, but all the files are in Japanese. So, so I then went with the downloaded version version which is in English but it's also optimised for Xbox One it's backwards compatible so it, it looks fantastic if you play it on Xbox One Batman? Yeah I played the Resident Evil HD selection on the PS3 And uh, Rob? I played the PS2 version on the PS4 the American version not the European No one played the actual Dreamcast version that we're celebrating <laughs> <laughs> I'm denied because I pulled my Dreamcast out for the Resident Evil 3 episode and I had just put it away so I was like like a about a week before we had actually decided to do this as the podcast and I was like oh I don't know if I want to pull it all out again <laughs> so, so I consider that because I have the original release but I also have the complete version on Dreamcast if I actually had to pick a preferential version I would probably be that well I played easily the worst version out of all of you so I played the PlayStation 2 PAL version on PlayStation 2 <laughs> <laughs> That is harsh. <laughs> yeah, on an HD TV as well. So, um, yeah, we we had some issues. We had some issues, but there we go. So that's good. So that that's that sorted. So Code Veronica starts with possibly one of the most uh, say infamous introductions. It certainly got its love, but it certainly got its hate. But before we go that, just as a real side point, just something I just mentioned before we started, I was really pleased that the very introduction of the game, i.e. The, the kind of musical interlude just before it gets to the start menu, actually shows nothing of the game other than what's in the in- introduction video which is quite cool because Resident Evil 2 and 3 show clips from throughout the game which arguably could be seen as a spoiler whereas the kind of introduction in Code Veronica only shows the first FMV which I thought was quite nice so you, you weren't spoiled at all anyway let's talk, quickly talk about the introduction to the game uh, Batman what's your views on the um, <laughs> on the opening FMV well it's awful isn't it I mean <laughs> You know, if you look how absolutely fantastic the Resident Evil 3 intro was, to go from something like that to this, just watching it just puts me in a bad mood. (laughs) That intro sequence, I absolutely hate it. There is nothing good about it, from the attack helicopter shooting its own building to Claire dropping the gun. It's just ridiculous. I just hate it. I will admit it seems more like something out of the Resident Evil movies that came afterwards. than. Yeah, I mean, if you could imagine James Cameron directing the Resident Evil 3 intro, then no prizes for 
guessing who directed the Code Veronica intro. <laughs> you can sort of tell Paul Anderson would watch this, and this sort of thing is what would inspire him to make the movies. Not playing through remake, you know, going through a, a dark gothic mansion with zombies. It's not that that wanted to make the films. It's stuff like this intro sequence. So fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else was quite ambivalent towards it. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> I will say, um, from a sort of twentieth anniversary sort of look back, I remember at the time seeing that intro for the first time on the Dreamcast. It must be said the image quality of the FMV was absolutely exceptional back then. It was truly in terms of like detail, the close ups of Claire when she wakes up in the prison cell, I mean, it was like close to lifelike at the time, you know, the detail just in like the close ups of her like her eyes and her lips and stuff was just a level of detail that again the series kind of ushered in for the Dreamcast. It was it was a nice showcase. Even though it was an FMV sequence, it was still a nice showcase. I was going to say, yeah, Capcom was really pushing CG graphics through the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Resident Evil 2 was up for a couple of awards with the SIGGRAPH Awards. I think Only Mushroom the next year won, and that's their opening scene of, of both Only Mushroom 1 and 2 are still really outstanding, and Code yeah. Veronica is definitely up there at that level. It's about the little details that just weren't hadn't previously been in these sorts of FMVs before, like when the tanks explode, there's lots of little bits of debris, the shattering glass as the helicopter hits the, the windows and the, the hair falling past Claire's eye in slow motion all that sort of stuff though and the detail of the reflection all that those are details that just hadn't really been achieved so much in full motion video until that point it is worth saying however that the the upscale that the the PlayStation 3 HD version that I played is awful they've really lost a lot of the detail and bizarrely on some shots I mean, the frame rate seems to just drop really dramatically I don't think you would have seen that though on your version Rob because I think from what I've seen of the PlayStation 4 port, the FMV actually holds up pretty well on. Yes and no, like it's still the original PS2 compression version, so what you get is surprisingly more like old school pixelation, so like fine lines become quite line pixels, and in some ways it gives it its own kind of aesthetic and makes it feel a little bit more retro than it actually is, which isn't a bad thing, but it's definitely not the best version quality wise. I still think probably that Dreamcast re-release of Code was Code Veronica X, Code Veronica Complete is probably got the best quality version of those cutscenes on it still. Did you not get a nice you know, bit, of, bit of excitement that, you know, we saw the Paris labs that had been teased in Resident Evil 3? I'll be honest, at the time, for many, many years, I have loved that that sequence. But in recent years, the points that John makes about like the helicopter just laying waste to its own building, like they see Claire, the biggest threat umbrellas ever experienced, that they would literally shoot their own soldiers and lay waste to their own building just to get to her, uh, <laughs> does seem a little bit ridiculous now. I find it hard to put my finger on why I kind of give it a free pass to the trailer, because I really agree with the point Batman makes about how wonderful the Resident Evil 3 trailer was it's the best in the series and then we're, we're served this up I just think you know Romby makes the point of how, how good it looked at the time and for me I think it was just so spectacular and it looked so fantastic and it kind of to me screams developers that are wanting to put Resident Evil kind of on a higher stage and, and you know take it out of Raccoon City and, and you know it's always been kind of influenced Resident Evil the developers Japanese ones have always been influenced by this, the American film Speed Robocop and so I just think that you know they were just trying something just trying to put it on a bigger grander scale 
wrong. And Code Veronica Freak, I've heard talk about how in Japan, you know, particularly with the CGI films, you know, they, they don't tend to link it to the canon as much in terms of, you know, would they want to, you know, destroy the Paris lab, you know, shoot it up that much. And it's more just about, you know, about the scene and how spectacular and how great it looks. So I don't think it would have really occurred to them that it was that jarring. What did you think of the, they were in the kind of prison and you wake up and you hear the bombs going off, treated to the first bit of atmosphere, if you like, within the prison cell that Claire's captured in? I think it's a great way to start a game. And I think Batman said in the past that Resident Evil, this series is always great when it's a mystery and you kind of thrown in at the deep end you don't know quite what's going on and and yeah you know people mentioned that, that this game is bland and I just think in so many different scenes it's, it's it's anything but and Rodrigo you know the most beloved characters I think he's fantastic for kind of a side character and it really throws you in at the action you've got a lot of FMVs scenes don't you at the beginning as well they really put you in the action and tell you what's going on you know with the, with the zombies at the beginning it would almost be a stronger opening I think like you say when Rodrigo comes down and it's dark and he gives you the impression he's possibly a zombie until you turn your lighter on I think it would have been a stronger opening if they hadn't actually gave you the intro sequence and you just started with Claire waking up and you could hear the bombing and you wondered what the hell was going on and the story of how she was captured was told in flashbacks throughout the game. I think that would have made it a stronger opening. I'm kind of with John on that because you could have created more of a narrative and it still doesn't mean if they wanted to do the stuff they did with that intro that they couldn't but I guess they wanted a big flashy kind of action based intro just to kind of get us into the game. People that were following up of my earlier comments when I first started up my playthrough of this back in November because it will take me that long to do it I randomly had the infinite rocket launcher in my inventory (laughs) when I started the game no idea how I'm certainly not good enough to get it in the game my time was about 11 hours which I thought was pretty good for me but but I didn't use it so do not fear folks I was able to get through the game without using it interesting point about Rodrigo George because his character stays quite consistent throughout yet people's reaction to him is quite different Claire is quite concerned oh let me kind of help you with the medicine even though she's kind of been captured Chris just does not give a fuck about him yeah he he asks him about Claire and Rodrigo's answer is quite helpful like yeah I I helped a girl called Claire and then Chris like shoves him in the shoulder he's already (laughs) Like, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He just sees Rodrigo as umbrella, though. Exactly, he, so. exactly. I think it makes sense in the narrative as well because she, clearly Claire's not there, and Rodrigo's saying to him, "Oh yes, I helped a girl," and it's like, "Well, I want to know what happened to her." So, like, mm. tell me, don't just you know. <laughs> I was thinking about that at this time too. Yeah. I thought though, and in terms of the kind of initial impressions before we get into the prison area, a nice little changes. You know, different things that you didn't see in the original game, like as Claire runs, her hair goes up in the wind, if you like, in the air as well. You know, small graphical changes from the original PlayStation trilogy really helped build up the atmosphere. And the lighting, even on the PlayStation 2 version, folks, the lighting with the actual lighter was really effective. They make really good use of using the lighter throughout the game and the little kind of, you know, light that it creates and helping you see in dark places. And obviously, it can be used to stop, you know, bats attacking you as well. But you never saw that on PlayStation, really. And this just showing the graphical uh, improvements that the Dreamcast brought brought to the table. I have to say, if anyone has the opportunity who hasn't played HD selection, you, you really need to try because you know, there is an issue with this game being too dark played on certain televisions, particularly those that don't have a, a backlight. Because if you you know if you have to turn the brightness up, and then it just gives this impression of a lot of the colours being washed out. And I know that's why you know it, in places it, it can be a bit bland. And there are some so many rooms that have just so many sumptuous colours in Code Veronica. So I, I just you know unless I'm in combat, I always walk around with the lighter and it just it looks just so wonderful so if you can get an opportunity if you haven't played you really should try those versions out it's worth 
worth saying that in the HD version. For those that aren't aware, Capcom imported the Code Veronica X game into the framework MT engine and um, it uses an entirely new way of, you know, doing the lighting and you actually do get like genuine areas of darkness now and the lighter becomes an actual necessity in places where it wasn't in the original game. The original game has a kind of weird sort of fogging that it uses to, to simulate darkness. It's not quite as effective when you look back now, but it's certainly an easier way to play the game. The interesting thing is, as I said on the commentary, the MT framework version has its pros and cons, but it's definitely a sharper, nicer way to play the game. The translucent textures are really good as well, so water effects, all that sort of stuff have all been improved. Light shafts have been improved. Then there's also this weird depth of field filter, which I really wish you could change or turn off. It kind of ruins the aesthetic, because only because it's pretty much stuck on the one same depth of field the entire way through when you use it. So things that are in the foreground that you're actually supposed to pay attention to you end up being softened and it gives the game a very nice look but it sometimes gets counter to what the game's actually trying to get you to do as well which is a bit unfortunate some of the effects as things i noticed you know the little details like the fire effects were very good for yes. the time i also really appreciated <laughs> tiny details like the bugs just crawling around on the wall posed no obviously no threat they weren't infected with the t-virus but again it just kind of started to build up that picture of you know, this is a bit of a dank place. I think the rain's really effective to build in the atmosphere at the beginning mm. as well. Mm, absolutely. And um, just as a point, yeah. if you can, can play this in 5.1 surround sound, absolutely incredible with the oh, rain. I was about to say the audio as well, yeah. So just, uh, it's just the sound effects, but the constant. Um, yeah. The prison area, for example, there's a constant soundtrack of just like zombies moaning any pretty much in the outdoor area, they're kind of off in the distance. It's a very nice uh, atmosphere building kind of sound effect as well, along with that rain. With regard to like where it is historically within the series as well, I got a huge buzz out of the fact that you were able to examine items again properly. I thought that was sorely missing from Light Tim and 3. And this is a game where you do have to examine the items quite a lot, and you do pick up some obscure items along your adventure, but... Hmm cracking on you kind of once you're out of the, the prison cell you then move into the main prison area I think there's something that I um I, I spoke with you John about actually privately the backtracking in this game is, is notorious but it's because and I think I've nailed it folks I'm sure everyone's worked this out 20 years ago but perhaps I've only just worked out now that it's because Rockford Island itself is one huge hub area and that's not what arguably we've been used to in the games so normally you'd have a smaller hub area and you just work your way around that whereas this game treats the prison, the training facility, the palace, the airport, all as one huge hub area. So it expects you to do the backtracking, and, and that's what takes the time. My problem with that is, is I suppose you could compare it to the city areas in Resident Evil 3, but you could do those in a different order, whereas in Code Veronica, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, the only sort of optional thing you can do is where you put the blue eagle plate. Do you take it to the guillotine first, or do you put it in the relief at the top of the stairs where Alfred tries to shoot you with his sniper rifle? Other than that, you're fixed on a set path. Yeah, I think you're right. My thought on it is that, yeah, the there's truth definitely to that kind of hub world thing but I think what they were going for was kind of that feel of the original Resident Evil like where you find an item and you go somewhere and it unlocks certain other things and you've got a few different branching paths and you can change certain orders of things but the difference between that and Resident Evil 3 which John mentioned as well is that Resident Evil 3 yeah there's a little backtracking but it always feels like you're progressing slowly forward like it, there's an incremental forward and the same with the original uh, Resident Evil 1 as well you're exploring more of the mansion you're kind of getting around Code Veronica because you end up spending so much time in these one areas and what you end up finding is a lot of the things you have to get because of doors that are already blocked off in areas that you 
are seemingly already in so you start feeling like you're trapped in that area for a long time and that backtracking is all kind of concentrated at first into one area then into two areas and three areas and then on top of that it, all of a sudden you're in say like the private residence and you've got to realize you've got to go all the way back to the prison or you've got to go all the way back to the um, training facility and all of a sudden it feels like oh i've got to make that slog across the map it's quite large to get all the way just to use this item i've now picked up so then you, it feels counterintuitive because it's now no longer one small hub area it's one giant hub area and yeah it's just a weird feeling to that whole thing it's not as well finessed as perhaps the other games when it comes to that sort of stuff that's the problem with the backgrounds being so bland as well i think it jumps out at you because like you said if you want to get from the art room in the arkley mansion to the dining room you've got the choice of going upstairs or back through the passageways and through the art gallery through the main hall etc but on this it's just a yeah. bland perimeter fence with some fog and absolutely no background. Resident Evil's renowned for its locations being really authentic and really atmospheric, whereas this, I actually felt I was in a computer game because there's no background. There's just a perimeter wall, a path, a couple of fire effects. I'm not saying that every environment was like this, but some of it, it just felt like it was loaded in parts of a computer game, which I know we are, obviously, but it didn't feel real. I take your point, but I think it's unfair as well to make the comparison with two previous games that are pre-rendered backgrounds. So you've, you've you have got these portraits behind you that you're, you're looking at, you know, that remain static and you can find the detail and you can find more detail every time you traverse backwards and forwards. Because for me, I, I'd be interested. I don't think there is any more backtracking in Code Veronica. It's just that you have to give it credit, I think, Batman and, and people that make that point, which is a correct one. But you do have to take into consideration the fact that Code Veronica, you, you have now the dynamic camera and the 3D models. So you, you don't have the static backgrounds because it, it, obviously if you did, then during the, that traversing that you're doing between, you know, Alfred residence and Alexis Palace or going back to the prison facility, you'd have those pre-rendered backgrounds. Um, so the actual items in the rooms themselves aren't bland at all. If you look at some of the detail in the palace. I think that's the difference though, George, is that it's like when you're in an interior location, there is a lot of detail in the concept of what the rooms are. They're nice inside, but when you're in the outdoor areas, they are very limiting in the fact there's a lot of fogging for the draw distance. There's yes. Um, yes. A very much a repeated texture kind of quality to it, and it doesn't feel as good as the stuff on the interiors but you spend a lot of time traversing through these areas that connect the kind of more detailed areas a lot i agree with but that entirely yeah I, I want to point out one thing that this is the one thing that's always bugged me since the original game and i'll point this out just to prove how boxy this whole thing feels in a way that doesn't make sense so when you go across the prison bridge you put the thing in the gate and you go across and there's the jeep and all that sort of stuff there's a tunnel where the road tracks go into right and mm. that tunnel for the life of me i cannot figure out where it would go the thing that's also that's kind of weird is that once you go up the two flights of stairs and then you go along the path and you go up the stairs again to the entrance for the residence there's a bridge as well that's also broken and mm -hmm. are they trying to tell me that those two things are a road that connects if so there's a massive vertical difference there <laughs> then where does that tunnel go like vertical geographical issues in resident evil yeah <laughs> And you start looking at in the environment, so you can see the maps and how they overlay. But apparently, where that road is in the front of the mansion, underneath is where the sub is, or it's sideways to it. But it doesn't work out. Like geographical issues based on the fact that they boxed them into these weird little areas, and it kind of breaks that illusion of it being a cohesive environment to me as well. Let's start with the prison because that's our first place we explore. So we meet with zombies first, as in, in a really homage to zombie movies of yesteryear. 
year, isn't it? You walk into a graveyard and up come actual zombies from dead corpses, which of course has never happened before in the series up until this point. Yeah, as you said, Nick, this is the first time the virus has the ability to raise the dead because in previous games, the T-virus is unable to infect a dead corpse and revive it because the virus needs live cells to propagate. And you mentioned the graveyard zombies in Resident Evil 3. George has been an exception to that rule, but the writer of 3 confirmed that those people were recently infected and buried because the virus sort of puts your body in a state of apparent death. Oh. Think of people like Marvin and Edward Dewey and Forrest Spire. The virus infects them, eventually stops the heart, and then revives them as a zombie. The difference with the graveyard zombies in Code Veronica is they were all just dead and buried without exposure to any virus. The rainwater from the storm has seeped the virus through the soil and infected the corpses, and it's all got to do with this new experimental strain having extra added influence from the progenitor virus, and that's set the trend for every T-virus that follows. It always has the ability to revive the dead from this game onwards. And it's a tough opening, actually. I think it's one of the harder ones, because unlike, say, Resident Evil 2 and 3, where you can kind of like dodge the zombies or maybe just take out one, you've got to take out quite a lot here. Yeah. And you've got a knife if you picked it up. If you didn't pick it up, you got nothing. You didn't realise it was there on the table. This is something I'll bring up, because back in 2000, people moving from the pre-rendered, there's a sparkle in the background to like physical items that you had to look out for, was a big deal. Like People, when they first started the game, they like missed the knife entirely. It's just lying on the table, and they go, oh, you know, there was no real indication that you could pick it up, other than there was a knife on the table. If you looked at it, you would notice it, but if you didn't notice it, you just thought it was part of the table decoration. You just walk on right past. I got lucky. I just got through the zombies by sheer luck. I'm going to put this out of the head now because it's the right time to do it. So the enemies in Code Veronica are like probably consistently the most frustrating, I think, of the franchise in that you can have complete luck with them like John's just saying you can dodge them and they'll be slow reacting like zombies in particular or you'll get them like they can turn on a dime and grab you yeah it's, I love and that they can be very fast and it's very random like you never know what you're going to get from a zombie you can run past the same zombie three or four times and he'll be like oh and turn slowly and then all of a sudden on a dime grabs you as soon as you run past the exact same spot every time and it's either you find it thrilling or you find it extremely frustrating one or the other I think I did like that and like you see I think my have been the very first time in the series when you know like you say they, they are on top of you so quickly and the random nature of that but also the fact that i think was it the first time in the game i don't know if respawning is the correct word but you can clear that area and this is why that first scene i, I just pushed them away with the knife i don't bother to kill them is that yeah what, if you kill them they all come back when you have to come yeah. back again yeah it does that throughout the entire game which is another issue with the backtracking it's very naughty in that respect there's a couple of incidents where it cheats like you mentioned the graveyard like literally at the start where you're suddenly surrounded and you've got very very little chance of getting out of there without getting hit and that's the very first encounter in the game and there's another one where you go through the metal detector and the zombies eventually come through the window the only way to oh. avoid that is step out of the room and wait for them all to slowly follow you out the easiest way to avoid that is to actually trigger the alarm intentionally before you make the replacement thing out of that alloy then it never triggers them to smash through the windows in the first place and you can't get through it can you not no you just reset it the buttons beside it if you ever accidentally do it of course they had to make it so that you could fix it so yeah on the the wall to the right of the uh, metal detector is a little switch and you just toggle it and all the shutters reopen the exact order to do it to stop the zombies from going through the window is when you come through the second time pick up one of the random items the first day spray the flame or the gas rounds run through it it sets the alarm off the shutters will close then put the stuff in the box go over to the machine craft the, the alloy crest and then come back to the wall when there's a little button hit the button 
and it reopens all the shutters for you and then you can continue through and mm. you don't have to worry about the zombies easy you never knew that so what I really liked about the prison area is that it was quite a unique setting during that time we had a bit of a prison scene obviously in in Survivor but that was very much a modern prison whereas this was very much a, had a prisoner of war feel very much like you know and, and there's lots of World War 2 references throughout this game but you know you have you know long buildings you know bunk beds and some of the files that you'd pick up and you're quickly building into the atmosphere of it's very sinister very sinister I mean one of my favourite you know you find a guillotine what the hell is there a guillotine but it, it, it's a precursor to the torture equipment that you see later in the anatomist's room which I mean, is not... hell Sorry. on earth isn't it go down to his secret area you're like oh my god he's an absolute nutter I just like the feel that you know it, it was very much you know with the rain and and the and the atmosphere coming in and then you, when you started to read the files of what these prisoners were going through you know and then you're encountering the zombies and they're hauling themselves through the window it's very hard to find that that atmosphere has ever been matched since I mean, a lot of it goes back to, you know, I think, as we all know, originally, there's more of a, a Nazi connection uh, with, you know, the original concepts for Alexia and, and Alfred uh, when they were the Krugers. And obviously, while that, that was taken out for obvious, you know, sensitivity reasons, you've kind of still got kind of without the Nazi skin, you've still got the kind of the models. So, you know, though it very much does have that feel of a concentration camp, you know, where you find Bob's file and, uh, you know, just, just the whole place just feels of death just almost smells of death doesn't it it does honestly i think it's one of the most chilling especially with the music wonderful music it's harp like with a bit of deep bass we know the soundtrack to Veronica is one of the highlights of the series and the whole musical scene at that point is so chilling and then to combine you've got you know that kind of homage to the original game with the cerberus kind of first person view under the stairs of the cerberus coming or zombie dogs whatever you call them you know coming towards you i thought that was good Sean, what's your views of the of the kind of prison area? It's quite well constructed in terms of like how its puzzles unfold, whether you you find it interesting or not. I don't think it holds up as well as like things like the police station or even even the mansion. I think it's probably the most drab of the openings, and you do have to endure. Um, a wonderful NPC known by the name of Steve Burnside. <laughs> I will say, despite its sort of drab and very sort of dark and depressing setting, it's quite memorable. I remember it very well. I'm not a big fan of like the overly telegraphed shots, like you know the steady walking down the steps or the body being pulled under the building, because I just don't think the the actual reveal of the dogs is anything special. Because it's not like you're fighting dogs for the first time in the series. It's fine if you like. I don't think many people are. Particularly enjoy the security box. Well, then, um, no, no, no. forwards. I mean, that, that haunts gamers for years. That noise. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear, it's awful. That I mean... uh, security box. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've got a, I know you're a big fan. I, I actually think the prison areas is, is one of the locations of Cove Veronica. I think it's one of the most memorable, more so than perhaps like the official residence. See, I like Code Veronica more as it gets more into the the other areas. Okay. Okay. So I don't tend to hang around the prison too much. I tend to race through it. But again, I think you've got to look at the models themselves because, as I say, just take into consideration the fact that, that that you're going to have these pre-rendered backdrops. So when you talk about things being bland or, or drab, it's not that I disagree, but I just think that that drabness comes from, like I say, just you know having these the dynamic camera and um, this this being the first 3D Resident Evil game. Well, and at I the end I... of the day as well, you have to ask yourself how much detail is a prison really going to have anyway. It's not mm. you know you, you we're talking <laughs> like grey walls and prison cells, aren't we? So. Yeah, I was, I was exactly at the point I was about to say. Drab is constructed on the idea that this is supposed to be an oppressive yeah. prison space, so that sort of colour spectrum is probably I mean, right. You know, when you go to the bunk beds and that, there's a lovely detail there. And yeah. I, I think everybody was always impressed at the time with the swinging lights.
light creating light shadows on the table. Yes, yes. In the in the mess hall sort of place. Oh, yeah. And the noise it uh, makes. It, it never fails to surprise me. Obviously, this was the first game that had like real genuine close-ups with these characters in the Resident Evil series, and it was the first time you actually had like the lips move in the in the cutscenes. And even though it's like quite archaic to what you expect in today's day and age, especially with the photo um, realistic faces of the the recent games. I still love the fact that this was the first time, like when Steve does something that like affects Claire, like on an emotional kind of level. I really appreciate like the close ups, and you actually you can feel her emotion through her expression. Yes, uh, which was like a first for the series. And I remember when I first played it on the Dreamcast. Again, this is like it felt like a turning point in terms of like how storytelling and emotional things. We were going to be, you know, in terms of storytelling and cutscenes and, and seeing character faces. You know, up until this point, so many people were just used to like bobbing heads and mouths that didn't move. So it was a real sort of step in and into a new generation. It was a good show. Again, I use this term showcase. It was a good showcase for the Dreamcast at the time. I just wanted to quickly say, Sean's so right, because I was playing it today. Something that occurs to Steve, Payne, you can really see the emotion in Claire's face as she's reacting to what Steve's going through. And I actually thought to myself, Bethesda recently have been you know, criticised for their, their character models and their faces. And, and even in more recent Resident Evil games, I, I just kind of felt that I haven't seen that emotion in more detail, you know, more modern renders. But I really felt that what Sean's saying, particularly about Claire's reaction to some of the things that Steve's going through, the emotions you can see in her face. I don't know if this is a controversial point. I actually prefer the look of Claire in the game cutscenes to the FMV. I think she looks a bit more almost like pixie-like in the FMVs, whereas I think she mm. looks far more natural in, in the in-game cutscenes. I don't think it's too controversial. I think I've heard that one before. I've, yeah, it's just something I've yeah. picked. Because there is backtracking, we don't want to keep backtracking in the podcast, so we're going to cover everything that you do in the prison area. So I kind of touched on it earlier. The anatomist's room, for me, was a real real highlight of the the culmination of, of your life, of what they're actually doing at Rockford Island, or at least what you know they're trying to do. And it's genuinely one of the most terrifying places ever. You know, you, you solve all the puzzles, you pick up the glass eye and God knows what you have to do. And then you're you know, you're faced with these little mini cutscenes, if you like, of the anatomist running at you at ninety miles an hour. Um, and that file, the opening line demon in my mind and the, brilliant. And I think when I first read it for the first time I was almost thinking, Oh, it, this is Alfred but no, it's a, there's another psycho that he's taken under his wing. Yeah. And it, he says, doesn't he, you know, Alfred's found a, a place for me. And I, I just love that area. When you go into the actual basement, in the main room where all the torture equipment is next to these two pools of water, where they dunk the prisoners, there's a little table and a cigar box and a red chair. <laughs> you can just imagine Alfred just sitting there, just fucking watching them being tortured. It's really, really creepy. I always stare at that chair every time I go through that room. It is, because it's nice. It's, it's a real clean room, isn't it? Isn't it? Despite the um, fact that all, reasonably all, clean, yeah. <laughs> all the horror. <laughs> That's a yeah. great point. I've never seen that. Next time I go into that room, I'm going to just imagine him just sat yeah. there with like some sherry and a cigar, just watching <laughs> these fucking prisoners being tortured. Because <laughs> it's just like no, yeah, because it's that sort of table. Isn't it? It's like a sort of yeah, little smoking table. I'm going to play the Devil's Advocate. I found that tonally, like the shift when you come across, like because I think what is it? You come through the room, the medical bay, basically, and it seems like a normal doctor's kind of like at a prison that like you'd expect it to look like, right? And then you go through the back room, and yeah, there's all these torture spikes and incinerator and like rack beads and all this sort of stuff and I'm just like holy shit where did this come from like I was like this is like hidden in the back 
Like, oh my god. And I just remember that tonal jarring shift going, oh, okay, so this is what they're actually doing to the prisoners when they wanted information from them. Okay, cool. And then that's one thing. You come out and it's the doctor you end up killing. You get the glass eye and then you find out there's actually an entire separate torture basement. Like, I thought the torture room was enough. Like, there's a torture basement in this place? Like, we need more? (laughs) (laughs) But that was good. This is something that happened to me. I don't know if it happened to you guys, but when you go down the more stairs and you go to the torture basement basement where you've got mm. where you've got the uh, the room with the sword and the, and the kind of gas and you push it in and then um, I was quite quick I pegged it out of the room and I was quite happy that zombie chased me up the stairs he went through yeah. the door I never it, knew they could do that yeah. pre-remake with the sword still stuck in him yes mm. yeah I couldn't believe it I was like oh, I, I was really pleased I was able to dodge him in time and uh, get out of there I thought oh, that's fine that's fine and yeah up he trundles and uh, I did. I just didn't know that could happen take it everybody who does notice the uh, original mansion throwback in that room which mm. is the the armour the helmet the shield and the sword mm. are represented on yes. the armours that was yeah. good it was the whole game is indebted especially to the original game yes it's, yeah. it's yeah. very much callback for all the good and bad reasons to the original well yeah that, that specifically probably Antarctica we'll get to that did everybody um, make sure to take the detour to get the calicos the uh, dual pistols mm. on on their run. I do, yes, yes, because they because they they're useful because you you do in a lot of places get surrounded quite quickly, so it's quite useful to take out the bow. And who remembered? to take the fire extinguisher with you or do you leave it for your return trip later in the game I leave it in the item box the metallic item box and then I think you reminded me <laughs> when I said I'm, I'm, I'm coming up to this point I said like, oh extinguisher if I've got the space which I usually do I'll take it for the reason that as I was saying before with that shutter system with, the, with closing them so that the zombies don't come out if you do that when you come back later the zombies are broken through anyway regardless I just take the um, thing so I don't have to worry about the, going through down that hallway because you can completely avoid them at that point if you just come in quickly grab the items you need and then run straight back out I got lucky because I took the fire extinguisher and put it in my item box so I wasn't planning on coming back to that area but you've obviously got the option of moving the crate that's blocking the door yep. so you can get in the room where the computer is where Steve found Chris um, mm. I planned on going back there simply to get a first aid spray that I'd left in the security box on that side of the room but luckily for me I only noticed the second time I went through that's where the BOW gas rounds are mm. so if I hadn't have gone back there I would have missed them and you obviously need them for the tyrant fight on the playing so i got lucky in that respect because i could not remember in the game where the bow gas rounds were yeah i wish someone told me that's what the bo gas rounds are for <laughs> i'm sorry nick could i not tell you this i put it out on our discord i said what's everyone going to use that but i'd already got past the everyone said use it on the tire yeah, on the airplane tyrant and you're already past that's not everyone else's fault that's your fault for running through the game and not checking earlier before you should as soon as you got them what do you tend to use them on nick in previous playthroughs in playthroughs i've right at the end of claire's game when you are wandering through the Antarctic terminal, the main area. If you remember the it gets repopulated by zombies. The main sorting office area, huge. So, so what BOW mm. did you use it on, Nick? Zombie. Zombies, oh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you could say the clue was in the, the name, Nick, the anti bow gas rounds. The most powerful <laughs> bow in the game is the tyrant. But... <laughs> weakest is probably the zombie but it takes out it takes out you know? all of them that was the whole point the gas fills the room and i was able just to jolly through so, they're on the floor i was quite so, happy with my outcome so the the uh, gas tricks against any t virus based 
entity, but it doesn't work against any T Veronica based or anything other than biogenic weapons. Otherwise, I think it works on the hunters, zombies, and the tyrants. It doesn't work on the Black Widow, does it? Because it mutates the Black Widow and makes it massive. No, the clue is that you cause that. Um, when you go to get the gas mask and you pump the lab area with the bioweapon gas, it's the same stuff from the rounds in that room. And yeah. the spiders don't die. You go in there, they're still alive if you haven't killed them. So that gives you a clue that that doesn't kill them. But it's the one crawling and underneath, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah the one you can't, one get, under. can't get to. Yeah. Yeah. We're jumping ahead. The... <laughs> so we have left the prison now, and we're traversing over that uh, cavern that we've already briefly discussed about. I'm just looking at some of my notes, which I made. This was months ago now. I said, I love the big cliff. So I completely disagree entirely with your comments about how about how bland it was because I thought it looked really good. It's a cliff. I know, but the, 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 I said the, the, the scene across the ravine is what I wrote. I can sit with what you're probably more, more meaning, Nick, which is I like the concept of the fact it's a big open area that we hadn't really seen mm. of that type in the franchise, especially at that point. It's a, it was kind of cool in that regard. It's not to do with the blandness of texture work or the fact that it just turns into a grey fog. Because obviously in a modern game, instead of it being grey fog, we would have like a huge cavern, but it would be like you could see a river or whatever. Oh, what we're supposed to see, yeah. What I noted more though was the fact that the rain stops as you go across the ravine and then the audio changes and you can hear the ocean and the wind which um, I thought was a quite a nice change in dynamic suggesting that you are now moving on to a different area you're not quite in you're not in the suppressed area of the game with the rain which perhaps there's symbolism there and then you're going into a bit more calmer areas namely the military training facility and the palace there's actually a really nice little bit in the dark side chronicles retelling in that section where you're going across the bridge and you see interestingly it keeps raining throughout the dark side chronicles version but you can see alfred dressed as alexia stood on the top of the cliff singing a lullaby and as oh. you get closer she moves away and disappears into the fog it's quite good oh, very psycho-esque yeah. <laughs> i noticed they added backgrounds into that as well so if you're going through the prison instead of just a blank background you can see a lighthouse on the corner of the island with its light spinning round. Oh, and cool. when you're in the military training facility in certain angles, you can see Alfred and Alexia's mansion on the hill. Mm. So uh, that was wow. pretty cool. Well, that's a nice segue, though, into the military training facility, which is our second miniature hub area where you do spend quite a lot of time. The music changes, and I felt that it was appropriately more of a militaristic vibe going on. And as you enter into the main courtyard area, you are introduced to uh, not Gravedigger or the gulp worm. Does anyone attempt to kill it, or does one just run? No. I, you know, I don't think in all the years I've played this game, I've ever killed it there because there's just yeah. no point. Uh, it's so easy to I, dodge. I've killed it with the rocket launcher when I've had the rocket launcher because it's just fun to do. That you shoot it with one rocket and then. Wimps out. I just I was going there. I was toying with the idea of killing it because I couldn't remember if it gave you anything. If there's any no. actual benefit of doing it other than being able to safely explore the area. That's it. That's literally it. There's nothing. Then there's uh, some bow gun rounds on one of the barrels, and that's mm. the only thing in the entire. I said this, I think, in my commentary, but I clearly think that someone was watching Beetlejuice and went, "We want a worm that size that can swallow someone, sand like a sandworm." I think it's a nice little bit of continuity from Resident Evil Three because it was obviously a secondary affecting in that and they've they used the data from that one to try and create a BOW and I think it was used for training battles against the anti-bow squads that were training on the island as well yeah. so it's a nice little bit of continuity with Resident Evil 3 I think in Hunk's file as well, it's mentioned, isn't it? You know, he reminisces about the times he was training there and stuff and so that links mm -hmm. in My only question is about where it was kept originally 
Like, there's no <laughs> yeah. place. I think when you enter the military training facility, you're greeted with a number of options, and you inevitably go uh, up the stairs... I think is one of the first places you go to have a look at, and then you you see a, a, well, a survivor. That's caused loads of debates um, as you go into that room and then the survivor's banging on the window. What kills it? Bandersnatch hand. Bandersnatch hand. There's a shutter door at the back so it could disappear at the back. I've always assumed that that's the shutter door to the uh, the one that, oh my god, one of the alpha releases that you fight the first one you ever see. Yeah. It's that same shutter door on the opposite side. Yeah. Ah, could be. You can clearly see the hand grab the top of his head. You can't on PlayStation 2. Lots <laughs> you can't see. For years, I thought it was just the albinos because obviously that's the only place you fight them in that room. But as I say, the one that, that Alfred releases is the shutter door at the back of the room leads to the back of those big open crate areas in the back where you fight the first one. It's that shame shutter door. I must say, even back in the day, that was always a disappointing effect. The blood, you know, even back in the Dreamcast, it never looked mm. good. One thing we'll just get out of the way quickly is Code Veronica is notoriously pared down. Down in violence. I think it's unanimous across all versions, isn't there? There's no decapitations or anything no, like that. There's a story behind that. As you may remember, there wasn't a rating system in Japan at the time. And so they at that point Capcom was feeling the pinch of the industry to kind of self-regulate. It's the same reason why there's changes to Resident Evil 3, and it wasn't until Remake and Zero really came out that with the Zero system had kind of been implemented and Capcom was able to kind of release two versions and or stop self-censoring. But Code Veronica early versions the Code Veronica still had decaps and blood and so forth and there's some some evidence of it in some of the trailers you can see zombies arms falling off in, in screenshots and clearly also when you use the magnum or the shotgun you can hear the pop sound of the head and the blood splatter get brain matter splatter as well but the heat stays attached and that was just them removing the animation simple as that that little scene with the uh, bandersnatch smashing the researcher's head again it's just uh, one example I think you get more than any other Resident Evil game certainly prior to Code Veronica you just get these additional you know kind of sort of mini cut scenes that just in certain sections that do suffer from maybe being a bit bland really kind of emphasise and set the scene of the atmosphere and the tension you get many more than you do in Resident Evil 2 or 3 certainly well you, you get a fire where you see the um, salamander on the little video screen and it's just kind of like a you know a little projection file you get just so many kind of these like additional kind of displays and, and presentations that what? for me just lift the game up the other part about that, George, is somewhat can be missable if you don't go exploring. Like, you can you can completely play the game without getting the, the scene we're talking about with the researcher if you just don't go up there before you have to go up there to get access to the room, which you can easily do. You don't have to go up there. Well, no, you have to go up there eventually because you have to go up and solve the puzzle at the back. But if you don't go there when you first arrive, you won't see that cutscene because when you go to go get the bow gun that time after you've already fought the bandersnatch, the guy's already dead. You don't see it. Did everybody on the recent playthrough go to the training facility first or do you head up to the palace? first palace first yeah i do because because you may as well go to the palace get the wheel and then get the card biohazard yeah. card i find that uh biohazard warning really annoying though that little buzz, buzz. <laughs> oh god yeah it doesn't stop. I guess that's true. It's doing its job. Like you, you, you don't want to stay there. Like, and interestingly, that's the same uh, noise and warning alarm that should trigger Nemesis from Survivor too. So there we go. They, they, they reuse that. <laughs> 
there's a couple of examples of the zapping system as well, isn't there? That you can unlock a little drawer for Chris to get to later, which I annoyingly yeah, forgot. Uh, there, yeah, there's all sorts of things. Depends on obviously yeah, if you've got the lockpick or not. With that point, if you've um, gone and seen Rodrigo and got the swapped out the lighter. But yeah, there's, it's telling to me. I was I was thinking about this as playing. So I was like, Cobra Ranker does the zapping system better than the remake did, and I was like, how is this? Like, how do they think this through? Because you've, you've got stuff like drawers that you can unlock for a character, or you can set up the detonator in the Antarctic section. <laughs> there's weapons you can leave for other characters there's obviously like the extinguisher if you bring the extinguisher earlier then it solves someone you know better something for later on like yeah it's interesting in that regard little optional areas as well that you don't have to go to which are like like the um the sauna and the little pool yep to get the key with the tag tag, yeah some of the small details like the squeaky air fans as you're wandering around um i think what it's one of the it's the changing rooms isn't it for one of the for the sauna room you know that whole area with the valentino rosso coffee machine rossi valentino rossi isn't he a motorcyclist sure and i feel bad that was nearly a quiz question (laughs) (laughs) speaking of, of the water do you guys have a preference on um the original water which obviously has like a repeat texture issue and the water doesn't look quite right but it did have a very nifty at the time ripple effect when you yes, walk through it which it was isn't brilliant. present it isn't present in the HD versions they just no. completely redid the water a, yeah the water texture is completely redone personally I like the translucent order in the, because it makes sense for in the modern version for what an enclosed space like that little yeah. but yeah the missing thing is a bit of a shame and also the water um, pouring out from the lion's mouth into there as well has ripples coming off of that doesn't have in there I didn't know there was that change that's interesting it's an actual 3D effect as you walk through the water it creates a 3D ripple it's just completely missing in the HD version because they were manipulating the texture to make it look like a ripple effect another update in this area which I'm sure you'll comment obviously the zombies uh, have changed a bit and a lot are wearing hats and we are a big fan of hats on enemies uh, uh, the Resident Evil podcast. I have to admit there right now, I do like hitting a zombie with a sh- like a particular weapon or, or whatever, and the hat goes flying off backwards. I do yeah. have to admit. I do yes, the little that. logos on the hat as well, the umbrella logo. Yeah, the <laughs> umbrella logo. Yes, you fuckers, this is where it all started. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a lovely little detail, isn't it? Because you, know, it is, you yeah. can just see it flying off. Oh, what's that? And then equally later in the game, when you encounter the kind of Wesker zombies and they're kind of wandering around, they've still got their kind of infrared scope eyes on, haven't they? And, you know, the, that texture looks very good. Now, what are you talking uh, about? I've, I've read fan theories on the internet which say that they're infected with the same thing as the Wesker virus. That's why their eyes glow. <laughs> You can You're joking. No, I do remember reading somewhere that like <laughs> yeah, right. Wesker's soldiers are they infected with the same virus as him because they have glowing eyes? Uh, no. I've, definitely seen, I've definitely seen that too. Those are my favourite across the entire series. I just something gets me. I just love the effect you get from glowing eyes. I think it looks yeah, it looks great. Well, it's like a trail, isn't it? As it follows. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah like you say, the trail. Yeah. This is where you get uh, trapped uh, in what is later kind of dubbed as the kind of game of oblivion. Welcome, Claire. Consider the area you are in a special playground I have prepared just for you. Please try and keep me amused, and do not disappoint me by dying too soon. I so want to enjoy this. Um, you're introduced to Alfred with his sniper rifle, his terrible aiming. <laughs> <laughs> and Well, 
again, if you've gone to the residence, you'll get the cutscene with him beforehand up on the balcony in the residence when you first meet him. I wanted to point out, I, this has always bugged me, but apparently his action name is Alfred. Alfred yes, Ashford. He says that in, I was going to say, I'm not sure if it's a mistake, Alfred. Alfred Ashford, yeah. I always thought that was always bugged the hell out of me. Does he, I, I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah. You, you go back and listen to it. He says, I am Alfred Ashford. One of my first major moments in this game of going, oh my god, was oddly the lift in, in the game going up up and down a level. I, it blew my mind. <laughs> I just thought, this is incredible. In what way? Sorry. <laughs> because normally in the lifts, when you get in a lift in Resident Evil, it's just open the door, you're in a fixed room, you turn around and go, bing, up it goes. This time it's like, you know, which level? And then the whole screen moves as you go up and down and the light coming through the gates. I just thought, it, I was like, Wow. This is great. This is just such a progression on Next from what, what they were. It was because, as you said, the, although background, you know, they're not pre-rendered and so forth. It still kind of felt very similar. Whereas this was like, well, this is. Can I just quickly go anywhere? And when was the first time you played this? I can tell Sean played the Dreamcast version when it came out. I played the Dreamcast version when it came out. I played this when it came out on PS2, so it was... 2001. September 2001, yeah. You guys will maybe know if I've got my timing right. I'd first played 2 and 3 when it was ported to the GameCube, when they both came out on the same day. And I remember people complaining they were 19.99 each. They both came out on the same day, and I'm pretty sure at that time Code Veronica wasn't available on the GameCube. I think it came out after it was a yeah. And then, release. Yeah. Yes, some months later, I was in Bristol, and it came out, and they had one copy in a shop in Bath. And my my wife at the time was furious with me because I drove all the way to Bath <laughs> just to get a video game. But I just remember that's the thing. I was so excited to play another instalment in this series that I hadn't played yet. And uh, yeah, so playing it on the GameCube was the first time. Yeah, yeah. it's same same for me. It has such a nostalgic feel for me because this PlayStation Two was the first console that I had bought myself and saved up for money to buy as opposed to like a Christmas present. And apart from getting Gran Turismo. 3 which came with the console this was the first game that I bought and of course we got Wesker's report with it which made it made it equally as awesome yeah so I have very uh, loving views and memories of this game but yeah the lift it was the moment I was like wow this is so cool <laughs> as the uh, whole screen just went up and down I just thought that's incredible but there we go yeah just just to confirm the release of Code Veronica was much later on the GameCube I'd completely forgotten this myself yeah I remember it was massively late. it was a long time later yeah, in Japan it was August, the, the uh, early ones from 2003, the US version was December, and I think the PAL version similarly was not until March of 2004, wow. actually, so it took a long time to come into the game. How do you think the uh, interpretation of Alfred has aged over the years? I don't think not it's as well. bad. I don't know. I... It probably wouldn't go down well now, and especially clear line. Alfred, cross-dressing freak. <laughs> yes, I love the fact that Steve is kind of, he's battled B.O.W.s and all sorts of things, And but then for him, like, the final story, he almost says it, that's the final story is when he just... <laughs> I, like, I do like that. Like, yeah. What the hell just happened? And then, like, it clicks, and he's just like, that's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I I can deal with B.O.W.'s, you know, gender fluidity. I just, yeah, I'm out of it. I think you could still definitely do it if you played up, because obviously it's got these psycho illusions. If you played up the psychosis part more and you put it as a character of psychosis rather than actual cross-dressing, if you had to, you would take that term out. And if you just put it as like what it actually represents, then it would be playable. But 
it's a fine line to cross. Something they could get away with, yeah, 20 years ago that perhaps wouldn't go down so well these days. I remember at the, at the time back in the day, and I think it's, um, I still think it's an interesting scene now. Is it feels like the first time you're actually getting like a commentary and a narrative on the history of Umbrella, that first scene. It always stood out to me that, you know, mm. this is the first time we're actually seeing someone relatively high up. I'm not implying that Alfred's high up, but you know what I mean? In terms of the characters that we've had, dealt had a, with. Had an importance. Yeah, yeah. Was it my father or grandfather? I forget. Like, one of the founders of Umbrella Inc. <laughs> Which I believe is, a, is it was a series first as well, it being called Umbrella Inc. in this game. I think so, yeah. And, and you get that in the files as well, don't you? Yeah, Just, there's it, a few it, series first in this game, and obviously we'll get to it later, but this was the first game that mentioned Progenitor and Spencer. Officially the in the game, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh. Spencer, no, we've, no, we've never had a Spencer mention. We, we knew about Spencer just simply because of the stuff that had been cut from the original game, which by then had come out. I think it was the book that came with the Saturn version. Yeah, I think it was Trevor's notes and all that sort of stuff. Which that is a true even, story behind Biohazard or something. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that had actually been semi-translated and the information had reached Western audiences a little if you were invested in the lore at that point. People knew about it, but I'd say the general game playing base wouldn't have never heard of him until this game, yeah, so oh. it's time. Was there not a mention of Spencer in Survivor? No. There was. Yeah, there is. There is. Is there? Is there? Yeah. One of Nikolai's reports mentions the... Oh, it does Lord Spencer. Oh, my Spencer. God, yeah, God. Well, they... Sean, I'll give you that, because these came out a week apart. More people would have played Co-Veronica first, like, just simply they were waiting for that over Survivor. You know, I, they were the fans. I, I will give you that. It's very close. But I like Sean's point about, you know, the history, and, and you get that, don't you, in terms of, you know, the butler, you know, his almost commentary on what it's been like to see Alfred grow up and pressure on him growing up and how it would, you know, he almost lost his sanity. And if anyone that listens to his podcast could, like, email us in the name of the film because I know in the 1980s there was some American kind of straight to TV movie which involved an artist whose sister had died and he was obsessed with his sister who had died and he was dressing up as her and a female researcher that came to interview this artist he was a sculptor and it was kind of she was the protagonist and you were seeing his madness through her eyes and she would look at this other residence that was on the estate and see this ghostly figure of a woman i was thinking of that when batman mentioned about how you see that in the dark side chronicles version and um yeah and, and you think it's his sister but actually you find out there's a scene at the end where you see him in it dressed up as his sister with the lipstick on and it, it's very creepy and then you find actually what one of his sculptures crashes to the floor and his dead sister's skeleton is in the sculpture Ooh. yeah but there's, there's that huge connection so I just wonder I can't think of the name from the 80s there's definitely lots of those sorts of things that you've taken inspiration from I really like that little save room that you're trapped in the kind of TV in the corner kind of static TV gives off a nice kind of audio atmosphere with with that little buddy DIJ yes yes I I just I I, I don't know but I can see why that, that part of the facility is quite bland at that point when he's taunting you over the speaker box with that maniacal laugh Yes, yes. I do love that laugh. His voice really goes somewhere in that scene, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that laugh. The save room next to that is where the nemesis arrives in Survivor 2. Oh, is it? Oh, brilliant. Okay. Yeah, it bursts through the ceiling in that room. That introduces us to the Bandersnatches, and I'm going to say it now, easily the most toughest standard enemy in the original class, you know, in the original kind of games. 
For me, the band hunters was... in the original. Nick, come on. Yeah, but, I was still but, with hunters in the original. But they're, they're, um, they're but they're later game. I mean, not this early on. Not this they were never going to beat the hunters, were they? And almost for me, the Bandersnatches kind of sum up this game in the terms of that they're kind of left field and they were just trying to do different with them, weren't they? And I love the design, yeah. and it doesn't quite work, does it? Oh, but I still don't have, after all these years, a legitimate strategy to fight them. Um, I always tend to take damage when I'm trying to get like the eagle plate. I try and keep my distance unless you use explosive bolts. Yeah, that's I, the best. I, I, I know a decent tactic for avoiding them, but I don't know a decent tactic for attacking them because they're what? so unpredictable. Like they can either hit you from a distance, but at the same time they may not. They may decide not to hit from you from a distance, but instead lurch past you and grab the wall and then pull themselves over and attack you closer. And you never know when that's going to happen. Once you get the grenade launcher, it almost makes it too easy. It's a shame. You basically you just two shots of the grenade launcher and, and send them down. So you you can kind yeah. of just do that. Sometimes it's one even, yeah, if you're up really up close. I think um, Code Veronica is a much harder game in these early stages just simply because you don't have the arsenal at the time. Once you, you know your arsenal starts to expand, it gets ridiculously easy by the end. Yeah. The bandage is funny enough, the easiest way when you're running to avoid them is to go on the side that their actual arm is on because they can't when they swipe at you, they take so long that they swipe past you. So it's very easy to avoid them if you run straight at them and then dodge to their, their, their right because the arm can't hit you. The most annoying thing about the bandit snatchers, though, is they can kill you from caution if they grab you. Yeah. Sometimes. I was doing an early run and I was doing fine and the game was sweet and I was doing good. And then I went into a room and I just happened to have been hit by something beforehand. Had only just got onto yellow caution, ran into a room, bandit snatch grabbed me by the head, popped me. Yeah. And I was like, where the hell did that come from? Now, Bats, the, the bandit snatches are part of the tyrant program but we're not given a yeah. lot of information about how or why or they were just a cheap version obviously there was no attempt to uh, make them human looking again they were just used for soldier training on the island and obviously because they were cheap variants based on tyrants they had lots of defects like obviously the missing one arm they're quite slow moving it's a whole John, somewhere that states why that arm was stunted? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was just one of the arms was missing just because it was very cheap and it had lots of defects on purpose because it was manufactured as a training opponent rather than a BOW. But obviously it's other arm with its ability to flex they're sort of compensated for that. It's possibly another throwback to, or I should say, I know this came out before Outbreak, but Outbreak is set earlier in retrospect and you have the Thanatos Tyrant that has, it loses one of its arms and compensates by making the other one flexible in a similar kind of manner. Do we know how they're created at all? Because at that point, mass production, I mean, obviously mass production was around, but what did they use Sheena Island clones? or? Well, I presume they were, it was a single unique subject. I don't think it was a T-103 clone or anything like that. I think it was just a single subject they tried to make into a tyrant, but obviously they didn't bother you know, performing strengthening surgeries and stuff like that on to make them into a proper tyrant, because obviously this was just a cheap alternative to see what they could come up with. Perhaps a bit like the Pluto then in that sense? Yeah. That's not the BOW that Hunk's transporting. That's, perhaps that was a tyrant. That was the T-078, yeah. Yeah, Kat asked that question on her Code Veronica stream the other day, and um, a lot of people didn't actually think it was the Tyrant, which I thought was really interesting, because to me, it's very clear it's the Tyrant. The interesting thing to me is where these are all stored, because <clears throat> obviously later on we see where the Tyrant is, and there's a couple other capsules on there. Obviously one of them does have one of these in it, because it's it Chris. So I don't know where the rest of them are stored on the island. We obviously never see that. No, there's only four, four spaces, isn't there? And there's obviously the one that was in that the lab upstairs that we talked about earlier that obviously breaks out, and then that one downstairs, and then the, the yeah. rest of them. The Bandersnatch moment, of course, leads to um, us taking control of Steve 
<laughs> inspired no doubt by uh, films he he has his starring moment jumping through the window and going gun ho on a bandersnatch bit of melee are you implying this is the beginning of project alice that scene <laughs> i don't know it's, it was um perhaps a bit of inspiration i think you implied it was the opening cut scene that maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> something i only recently found out you know if you when you're playing as steve if you go back to claire um, yeah, you get a nice moment. I did it this time. They attached a trophy to the uh, PS3 did and they? Ah. PS4 and achievement for that, which is uh, yeah, like encouragement from the lady or something. It's four different things, she says. Oh, is that? Yeah, oh, if, right. you keep, if you keep going back, she says, like, yeah, oh, you've got plenty of ammo, you know, don't worry about that. And then it's like, oh, do you need help from me? You know, that kind of, and yeah, she gets quite condescending. <laughs> it's the same if you, when you play Steve, depending on what you do, you get a different cutscene at the end. So if you uh, go through and don't kill anything, he talks about trying to conserve ammo. And if you kill everything, he's like, uh, this area is now being cleaned. It was dirty work. (laughs) It was dirty work, yeah, that's that's the one. It's now being cleaned. Yeah, that's the one. Steve, you know, maybe rightly so, gets a hard time for his voice, but in terms of a character and what he brings to the story, I mean, I really do love him. And these cutscenes that we get, particularly as he talks about his father, you know, and, and selling secrets, and, and it really gives another kind of window in, into an Umbrella employee and how Umbrella affects not just the people that work for them, but their loved ones around them. And isn't it, you know, it's, I think it's the first time in this series where you get to see a character having to deal with the fact that, you know, as you, obviously you get this a lot in The in the Walking Dead since, where, you know, a character sees a beloved one that's turned into a zombie. And, and that, that cutscene for me is just fantastic and the, and the story that it brings with it. Mm. The performance my, my, is definitely distracting, yeah. In the early parts, I find the fact that Steve's annoying up until after that point with his father, I would be okay with. What's more frustrating is that by the time you're on the plane and this is obviously going ahead, he kind of feels like he's starting to redeem himself as a character. And I'm like, okay, cool. So now he's starting to realize kind of more the gravity of the situation he's in. He's starting to rely on Claire and all this sort of stuff a little bit in moment. But as soon as they land in the Antarctic, he does the whole thing when they fall out of the plane where he like she offers him his hand up and he dusts her off. And then he starts going back to being cocky and arrogant again. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So he hasn't really learned anything. It felt like he was starting to grow as a character. No, he's got re- regressed back to where he was. Like, and he is you're 17. Very, you're very forgiving, Rombie. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that he kind of semi tries to sexually assault Claire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to mention that until the <laughs> He is 17. He's obviously infatuated. And uh, he's yeah. just trying to impress. I don't need you. I got so Steve's 17 and he can fly this giant cargo plane? <laughs> <laughs> He knows how to use weaponry. Weaponry, yes. Anyone? The weapons thing, I could almost, almost understand a little bit. Like, I just feel like, you know, maybe he, maybe his dad was a gun nut and he took him to the gun range. Like, maybe he just watched too many action films. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe he's just a gun buff. You know, like he does seem to know what he's talking about when it comes to guns. So, and he has, he has a preference for having something fully automatic. Like, I can. Okay, cool. That I'm okay with, but like the plane thing just seemed like the one step a little bit too far. Like no discussion is ever made about the fact that by this, it's just like they get in there, he jumps in the cockpit, starts flicking switches, <laughs> and Claire's like, "I'll leave you to you know sort this out while I go raise the bridge." Yeah, cool. <laughs> You'll figure this out. <laughs> There's one I've I mentioned obviously on the stream I did previously in the year with the Dreamcast version. In the very original Dreamcast version, the grenade launcher is lent up against a wall. In the X edition, it's put on a box. I assume it's because it's you know it's easily missable. Maybe you saying that on your stream. I remember that too. Funny if you've mentioned that, Sean. Where that grenade launcher is, you, the doorway that goes through there at the back of that gated area, you can um, access the area 
where the uh, lift is, we used to use the flat. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask about this. And uh, there's two bandersnatches in there each time you go in. Yeah. This is the only time I I never realised this until this was the place, not the place I've done recently, but in 2015. I never had never gone in there for some weird reason. Any other version I've ever played until that last time I was playing the PS3 version. And clear comments on it. You can't go into the room. You can go into the room, but you can't. The slidey doors that go up don't go up. Yeah, and you can't door, can't you? Yeah, and clear comments on the fact that that's where the T-virus probably escaped from, which makes sense because there's a giant vent on the wall that's smashed. Yeah. So I was, I'd always wondered where, like they always said there was a T-virus leak on the island when the island got attacked, and I was always wondering where it came from and never knew that that was the room. So I was going to ask as well because I think this was the first ever playthrough. I actually went that way, and I, I got mullered by the Bandersnatcher, so I didn't hang around long. I, tried, I went into that room, got that... Um, description is there actually any other reason to go that way because there's no items i don't think there's a, a bow gun bolt which yeah. you can pick up as chris later anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. literally an extra room and then the only other thing is in the room where you get the uh, other chemical for chris there's a locker there with some acid rounds which once claire's got the lock pick you can unlock yes for, yeah, i did that up, or chris to pick up later on if you yeah, did, did people item. remember to do it i did yeah well done i did that one if you go to that room with chris the banners actually aren't there but the bow gun rounds are it's just the other half of the lift isn't it oh they're not there because i always i always go in there as claire in order to to take out those bandersnatch if you go in uh, with Claire there's two bandersnatches and if every yeah. time you go back there there's always two bandersnatches and there's bowgun bolts if you take the bowgun bolts they won't be there when Chris goes in that room later on which comes he comes from the other doorway which is now right. it's blocked when you first mm-hmm. go in as Claire because it's the one where the lab with the tyrant is but then the crates fall over they block the door that Claire uses and you can't go through to the basement with Chris and if you take them as clear, they'll be gone with Chris. If you don't take them as clear, they'll be there when Chris arrives. Yeah. It's a, a creepy little the, scene uh, scene in that room if you take the shotgun shells with Chris. The room where sorry. he says the C-virus leaks. Yes, oh, sorry. You get the Done. sweeper, is it? The sweeper comes out the vent if you pick up the shotgun rounds. That's a oh, creepy. yes. Yeah, uh, I think it's only if you do it after you've been there the first time or you pick up the door handle going in the lab because if yeah. you go in there the first time and just pick up the items and get the clement mixture from the fridge you don't get any cutscene at all i think it's the triggering of the hunters though which yeah makes... it's after the hunters are triggered yeah you'll... if you do that before you trigger the hunters then you don't get the sweeper i think that, no. I, I think it's the trigger okay. the hunters that then trigger well we'll move on to the uh, official residence or palace which is the 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 next kind of hub area in my opinion one of the worst places in the game i think it, if, if there's drab areas i think this is possibly the drabbest of the drab it's really uh, wow. so, palace yeah i think it's really important especially the main hall the official residence the, i the, really like the palace nick mm, <laughs> this looks terrible on playstation 2 on an hd tv this is the first point because all the environments up to this point have been kind of like quite brownish uh, and quite dark so it looked quite nice and kind of sinister this is a much lighter area of the game oh, and right, maybe okay. we, maybe we should be blaming this more on yeah technology change and, possibly and, <laughs> And, and the quality of the version of the game that you're playing. Possibly. This is the first time when I was playing I felt that there was a grey filter over the oh, game. Ah, yeah. It looked really bad. The HD version, obviously, because it has, like, the proper lighting, the main hall has, like, a lovely green glow that comes off the monitor. 
Yeah, that okay. sort of illuminates oh, the stairs, and there's genuine darkness in like the corners of the room. Corners, so I actually yeah. think it's it's hugely atmospheric in the HD version. Yeah, and the save room. I, I mean, for me, in, in Palace is one of the best. And you talk about bland. You compare that save room to to say the save room in Resident Evil Two, where you get David's memo. Uh, that that save room, it's just, the, the, the save room's and, nice. Yeah, the save room's nice. Yeah. And the bats as well. You've got bats. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you've got bats. <laughs> Fucking hell, Nick. I thought we were going to have to be fighting this game off Batman, but I tell you what, you're, no. <laughs> you're the spy. No. <laughs> I've noticed John is saying as quiet as possible. And he is on the board, so I think I've seen someone. I agree, Nick, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apart from it looking awful on my version, but the palace, the first floor of the palace, I don't know, I mean, the bat's room was fine. What about the gallery? Yeah, the one where you need the gold key and do the picture puzzle, I like that room. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I could never get that right first time. The one that gets me is the armory room, which is obviously like, like everything's like military, there's like guns and naval ships and aircraft, and then there's an ant on the wall, so weird. <laughs> That's an allusion to, because Alexia used to call Alfred her loyal soldier ant. Soldier ant, yeah. But it's so weird that it's like so, the one thing that just seems so out of place that it yeah. is, yeah. I've put here, it's a budget Arclay facility, such as mine. <laughs> Such was my uh, comment. It is quite run down, essentially, it looks like. like yeah. Even before the fighting, I suspect it wasn't particularly... I did say, going back to your save room, and obviously when you get the gold lugers eventually off Stephen to go into that room, I think we, we spoke about... This is a question on the last quiz, wasn't it? When does the um, lightning come in and that kind of thing? That part was brilliant, because just as you go into the gold luger room, then the lightning storm strikes outside. That is incredible. Because that, again, if you're doing it in surround sound, that comes out from you know from behind you, uh, and then the kind of band mm. snatch jump through. There's lots of... Details yeah. in these rooms. Well, that's the thing you say about the room. I noticed that there's about six different renders of paintings. So again, if you sort of look past the actual drab walls and the ceilings, and, and you're right, the individual decoration and the individual items within rooms that do have, you know, maybe you know, drab walls surrounding them, they're fantastic. And again, with the lighter on, that room that Nick talks about is wonderful. But yeah, you know, take a moment to look because you know you're not just getting the same two or three repeated renders of different paintings. You're getting about up to six different ones. And we didn't mention it before. Oh, the puzzle in that room that, that's a callback to that, that cutscene between Alexia and, and, and Alfred, you know, growing up and, and the way they torture that dragonfly. I just so wonder, I mean, just so much of that symbolism just goes in this game, you know, as, as a detractor of the game. John, you must, that must have been a, a highlight for you in terms of, you know, the themes that they play on between Alfred and, and Alexia. Yes, I do like all that sort of stuff. Um, and that cutscene in particular where they're pulling the wings off the dragonfly is very effective. It's always been probably one of the most memorable parts of the game, I think. It's still a creepy little fucking video, though. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really helps the unsettling atmosphere in the game because I do think there is a, yeah. a undertone that runs through the entire yeah. Okay. You know, the fact that they just get a little bit weird between them in in that video. And I was just going to say that I think uh, I think the palace is home to actually one of the best puzzles in the entire series with the going through the uh, Ashford lineage. I think that's I think that's a wonderful puzzle. It's it's kind of a nice throwback to the original 96 um, journey to you know journey to death and I just think it, it actually is a puzzle where you have to do a little bit of research I really I miss puzzles like that in the series I'm so learning something about the Ashfords while you do it as well go on what's the order 
no, I'll never, oh, never, never get it right. <laughs> do you want to do one each, see if we can get through it? So, Veronica's first, I'll go first. Right, I'll go second, Thomas Ashford. Stanley. Uh, it's the two twins. Oh, who's the other twin? It's Stanley and... Thomas, isn't it? Thomas is the father of the twins, and it's Stanley and Arthur Ashford. Oh. And then it's Edward. And Alexander. Then Alfred. Then Alexander. The pressure. Fully expected you to say Charles Ashford then from Resident Evil. <laughs> I would have just fucked off if you'd said that. <laughs> the final word is Veronica, Stanley, Thomas, Arthur, Edward, Alexander, Alfred, Alexia. Nick's just literally tearing up his fucking quiz notes and throwing them in the bin. <laughs> it's uh, Veronica, Thomas, Stanley, Arthur, Edward, Alexander, Alfred, Alexia. It would be great if the aspects of that puzzle ran through all of the puzzles that we get in Resident Evil, particularly obviously in, in 4, 5 and 6, because I, I really resonated with me what, what Star said, because something that I really liked about that puzzle and kind of I noticed that made, sort of made it stand out was that it doesn't give you all the answers. You have to come up with, I think, at least one of those portraits you have to come up with by, by matter of deduction, by kind of you know knowing the answers to a couple of the others, but it doesn't hand it to you on a plate because it's a sort of a matter of deduction and you know you have to w- work out from it, examining things in the room and looking at you know where the candlestick is and and yep. so yeah that was good it was yeah I like the the other room in there the meeting room as well with that fantastic carpet that red patterned carpet <laughs> yeah that's like a bit like The Shining where you get Hunk's report and, and that big like, like meeting table yeah that was quite cool mm. can you imagine them having some sort of top secret Ooh. meeting in there. The war room. I love also that it's obviously like a place where they come and meet and they, they they obviously must stay and they can meet and have these top discussions and then go upstairs and play some games at their little mini casino. If one of them wants to go on the piano, they've got to go all the way back to the fucking prison <laughs> to get the thing. When you leave the official residence, you get one of the greatest cutscenes in the game and that nice angle as you walk up to the private residence. That's also in the original demo that came with uh, Value Plus. That's how the demo ended. No, that's why yeah. I always remember it. We get to the private residence and suddenly we all go tubular bells on us with the music. Getting there as a mission in itself. Who was screwed over by the Bandersnatchers? There's like three, isn't there, within that area? I think no. the first time you go, they're not there. Oh, yes, it's when you go back for the third time or whatever. <laughs> well, there's just it. two. And by the time it takes the second one to sort of, with his arm, to climb up the stairs, you can actually just... If you just yeah, I, I gave up. I, I just ran, I ran. But yeah, so the private residence is, is quite infamous now because it got quite a bit of a... Um, I'll say makeover in Dark Souls Chronicles. They put a different doll statue thing in the middle, and it's a very unique, almost psycho esque, but gothic vibe going on. Yeah. Again, you're not there for long. There's not a huge amounts to explore, but it, it suddenly takes the the feeling, the kind of clues you've been having about uh, at that point, Alfrexia, if you want to call them that, you know, and that kind of thing, and the weirdness between the siblings. It really up to a notch and with all the kind of dolls and the doll houses and you're suddenly going okay we are with some proper psychopaths it's psychopath isn't it because that whole private residence is basically a manifestation of alfred's personality because if if you think about it the real alexia ashford has never ever been in there so that whole mansion is just based on what alfred's perception of his sister is you know with all the dolls and things i never thought of it that way yeah. She's never ever been in there, so that whole mansion is a representation of what Alfred thinks she is. Even uh, though there are certain rooms like the bedroom, which is a replica from the Antarctic base, of course, but the real Alexia's never ever been in there, which I think is quite interesting in terms of how it looks. Not as a child. 
private residence wasn't built until 1994 on the island, and obviously Alexia went into cryo sleep in 1983. Oh, there we go. That's yeah, that's interesting. Way next time. The real Alexia has never ever been on Rockfort Island ever. This is the thing. She may have been if there was a previous resident. Alfred that... didn't take over the island until 1993. Yeah, true. Yeah. The doll in the main stairwell is still super creepy. It's, Very... it's, it's a real piece of nightmare imagery. Is there a point to that little side room where you can light the fire? You just get no. um, ammo in there. And kill a band of snatch. And an ink ribbon, I think, is at the other side of the yeah, room. Yeah. There's a couple of pieces of ammo, uh, bow gun rounds and uh, bullets. and yeah. I remember getting angry there that I went in there because I'd forgotten that it was pointless. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I dealt a lot of damage to the band of snatches. Oh, Jesus, I was like, oh, that's annoying. And then it's, it can be annoying. At that point, I didn't have the lighter because you'd have, oh. I would have gone back and given it to Rodrigo. Oh, you did that early. Yeah, so I always do that after I've been to the residence the first time. Because the yeah. second time round, the bats are no longer there. They just replaced it with zombies. Ah, see, I had all sorts of issues running up the stairs with the bats. And of course, I had nothing to protect myself. And I wasn't going to waste ammo on them. But yeah, that was a bit of a pain. See, you see, you say it's all very... There are options here, John. There's options. This is the problem, though. I think what you're talking about is options. They put you in a disadvantage because they, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you end up worse off for it and you're supposed to learn from these mistakes, but they're not easy things to... There's so many things to try and remember that you can easily make the same mistakes multiple times. I mean, you, you saw when I was playing later in the game, you know, I know that I'm supposed to take the extinguisher with Chris to go get to go refill it, and I'd still forget to go and put it in my inventory. Even though I know this, I'll get to the point and then go, oh... No, I need to go back to the item box. I forgot about it. Even though I knew it was coming up. And you can do this. You can easily go, you know... Another good example, I'm not to skip ahead again, but if you're in Antarctica, you can force the scene where, with Steve um, lifting the crane if you check the panel. Or you, when you come back from getting the valve handle, it just happens automatically. But if you force it to happen because you're exploring it puts you at a disadvantage that you need to get the gas mask to even go get the valve handle now that's what I had to do yeah that was that was yeah, yeah. and whereas you can skip doing that if you just go get it first so yeah. like these things exist in the game and they're more frustrating than they are enjoyable that really pissed me off actually exactly example. I had to go back so, twice to get it and this bats thing should be the same thing because clearly you made the decision to go do the thing with Rodrigo early so to put you at a disadvantage that you don't have the lighter and they've, they've kept the bats there the first time you visit so you're now getting attacked whereas if you did it in the order that they want you to do it which would be to do it after you've had the bats then you'd have the lighter and so yeah the, and then you would not have as... to get yeah. the, the extra uh, enhancement for the gun it, it's not so much giving you a, a choice of exploration i think you're right Ron, it's more actually just presenting you with frustration and 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 it is a sign of poor level design but I think that comes with, uh, I think, the, the greater ambition that they had with, you know, designing, you know, such a huge and ambitious 3D game. That's it, yeah. The ambition was massive and they didn't have the logistics planning that they did. If you look at the original Resident Evil, and people have written articles about this, you know, in the gaming environments, like, the idea is that it seems very open, but realistically it always funnels you in a particular direction. But none of those directions ever punish you for choosing them. They all get you to the same way and you never really get punished for making those choices. But this game doesn't have that quite that finesse it's got the idea but it doesn't quite have that finesse of order that no matter what you do you still have an advantage doesn't there's moments where that's lost the gold eagle plate which you find i think is one of the first items you have to find and that's in the drawer behind you where you send the email to steve 
And it's a little bit, well, it's not like, you know, some sort of huge sort of wardrobe right in front of you. It, it doesn't sort of position you towards that. You've got to really go around and search your environment. So I think you do at least know from an early stage that it's a game where you do have to kind of check every nook and cranny. But, but again, that becomes frustration. If, say you're a new player to this, this is the first Resident Evil game you've picked up, and you don't know about the sparkling objects from the past. You literally just know it's an environment. And it, the game's starting to tell you you need to look at everything because, as I said earlier, you you missed the knife, you missed this seems that eventually you get sick of that you do get frustrated with that entirely you know that the idea that you have to keep looking at these things there's a balance to gameplay to enjoyability that is perhaps missing and i think this adds to that backtracking frustration there's a lot of weird items in this game like yeah. there really is when you look at the scheme of things there's a lot of weird items that plant pot you know, I th- door handle yeah glass eye mm. as john alluded to the piano roll we want to play the piano no you're gonna go back to the prison watch out for this dead body in the iron maiden but uh, unfortunately, he had the piano roll at the bottom, so you'll have to open that up. But in order to do that, you have to move a gas crank. And be careful, because that'll release the poison gas. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> It was that level where it started to get... Like, before it was reachable that there's these weird traps and people make jokes about, oh, well, you know, to get to the bathroom, you have to move the, the statue, grab the red jewel, burn down that painting. And, uh, you know, there was those jokes. But realistically, Code Veronica is probably the worst offender in that regard of, like... Yeah. I totally agree. It feels like a video game, doesn't it? Yeah. There's no sense whatsoever for the piano roll to be there. Like, not one single bit of sense at all. Yeah. The other thing is the the kind of bedrooms in the private residence and ultimately the Antarctic Terminal, so we're kind of covered two bases here. They had a unique feel with their secret hidden ladders and dolls' rooms and so forth. I know the doors open between them in the... I like that. Well, they they do in both, but you don't realise it's a door until after clear C Alfred slash Alexia use the door yeah then she realizes it's a door she doesn't know until then so it's a nice little touch that if you check it beforehand it's just a it's just a feature but if you go to touch it afterwards you can use it as a door because you I do think you could personally the lowest point of my playthrough because I'd already been from the prison to the palace to the airport to the training facility to the palace to the prison to the palace um, I've, I've got the blue gem and put it on the music box and it opens up and there's just fucking nothing there and you know you go from one place to the other and it always gives you an item to go on to the next bit and I open it up and there's fucking nothing there that was where I knew I'd gone to the wrong place because there's a bit of a cheat because when you get the piano roll you automatically think to yourself well the logical place to go now is to go back to the palace and put it in but you have to go back to the training facility to get the silver biohazard card to get one of the jewels to then go to the private residence and put in that music box so you can open the other one and get well, the, the other, no, the other one the other one's in the, the, the vase and the, the puzzle but, but the key puzzle. to get that is in the training facility yeah, I mean, yeah. they're way overly complicated yeah. for what it is <laughs> You end up doing a lot of backtracking with a lot of weird items and stuff. So it's, yeah. Remind me, when you, when, you, when you go up the ladder in this one, does that one that rev- takes you to the carousel or is that down in... Yes. That's okay. No, that's the carousel one. That's the carousel. See, that that's is in the neat. area. I like that. But again, it doesn't... It belies the idea. This is this is where people can get confused. John was talking about Alexi not being there. This belies the idea that this is a kid's area and... Like as if they grew up there because you they'd given them like their own little play area, but obviously that's not the case because as John pointed out, the dates to it. So it's almost like Alfred's more of this even weirder tragic figure where he feels like he didn't have a childhood. Yeah, he lost his childhood somewhere. I'd really like his upper study as well. Who wouldn't want an elevated balcony study like that? That'd be wicked. (laughs) It seems like a good idea, but then it would be really annoying to get to having (laughs) to climb up two ladders. Uh, The final area of Rockfort that we explore is the airport 
and getting to it. Now, can anyone explain the geography of this airport? No. I can't even describe the geography of getting to the airport because, as I was saying before, so the stairs that go off the top part, as I said, there's the bridge that's broken. The stairs seem to go down into the left, but that doesn't make sense for the visuals that you get. They should technically should be to the right of the thing. So, And then it's a closed-off area with a pool because pool. it's not an open it's a, it's a pool and the sub goes down and then it's especially just a tank but the tank is elevated because obviously it's above the water and the rooms below yeah. where the airport is and then the airport must exist in the ravine that you go over in the bridge but it's not explicitly shown as much that must be yeah. that must be it I did like the camera angle though where you go down in the sub and you're sort of looking through the windows from inside the water pool that yeah, was quite I good like that too and the same one when you first, uh, yeah, even, yeah, the first one in, uh, when you first get off the sub and then the one when you're running around the outside looking in the ins- from the inside out. I don't think there's ever been a more welcome side pack in the series as well for the amount of backtracking <laughs> yes. and what you need to do. But the thing about that is it's so easy to overlook. I know, they yeah. The ladder and then they just go straight to the controls. That, and I remember people complaining. They're like, oh, there's so much backtracking. And, like, and then I'd be like, I remember in the early, and this is on the new blood forums to 2000, I'd be like, did you grab the side pack? And they're like, what side pack? But do you know what's funny about the side pack? Have you noticed the little detail on the side pack? Please, Nick, tell me this is not a quiz question. <laughs> no, no, there's no detail on the side pack. So do, does anyone notice what it says on the little side pack? It says RPD. Oh, oh. conspiracies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this always makes me wonder. It's like, oh, is this, this is a sign that Wesk has already been on the sub and he left this? And it was an old RPD pack of his. I want to apologise because I, I had it in my head. I don't know why, thinking about it now, that the sub you take down to the airport is the same one Wesker uses. I think I thought that because obviously when you have to do your little detour around the island again when Claire raises the bridge for the plane, she obviously takes the sub back down to go back to the plane. Mm. And if you want to go that way with Chris, the sub is missing. You can go backwards through it, but the sub's missing. So I thought that's why Wesker took it. But if you actually see the sub at the end of his battle game, it's like eight times as big. (laughs) They did change the artwork though, didn't they? For the exhibition. I think they just added fire. But they added fire, yes. I I thought the sub does change, doesn't it? Does it? I think I'm gonna to need to check it out. Just, just bear with. But that bridge puzzle was stupid. The, yeah. the one later on when you come back as Chris, it's just it's stupid. It's like three, a bunch of threes and the five to get the oil pressure. It's just so. Thankfully for all the the, the visuals of the airport, it is made up for the fact that we do get pro- possibly one of the greatest uh, tyrant battles we're ever going to encounter. But it doesn't start off well, ladies and gentlemen. It does not because we have to backtrack. Running theme, it seems, to raise the bridge uh, where we do encounter Mr. Tyrant who comes to see us possibly the easiest tyrant fight it feels like a Mr. X battle to be honest yeah I wouldn't even put you it can that screw it. you can easily screw it up like you can yeah I've died there before you think you've knocked him down the first time because the end is the usual reaction he goes down his knee and especially if you have played against Mr. X all of a sudden you've got this idea that maybe you've stunned him enough to just run past but you can't he just goes Poof, with his big club fist if you use one of the uh, anti-BOW on him I don't use them on the, on the plane I've got, I'll save it to later I've got a different technique for him on the plane but and, and I don't like that that BOW thing because just the location the placement you know this kind of really thin corridor I, I don't like it for that it doesn't give you any kind of variation or in terms of um, how you're going to deal with him and you know you've just got the fire behind you so it's very restrictive and sometimes all well, that plays really well having the restrictive corridors where you have to 
dodge the zombies you know when it puts you up against a, a boss battle it, it just makes it very dull for me uh, so i just use one of the the bow gas rounds and then he goes down almost immediately and then you can just knock him down quite quickly with with a couple of normal ones thankfully though he does come back with a vengeance because they build him up quite nicely you know you would have read the files if, oh. it, if it worked out as tired and then you get the cool video of him coming out of an icicle capsule and then you know. I love when he smashes the fence out and the fence goes flying and it hits the wall and flicks off. I, I just love that animation. It's, it's a, mm. it's a, a really great moment. Detail, so. isn't it? Yeah. But certainly the actual aeroplane battle is one of the greatest. There are it's... tactics which I think Kat alluded to in her... Kat taught me a um, tactic which is use three bow gas rounds on the plane and then three acid literally stand in place and just fire them and then launch the catapult and it kills it straight away i tried that and confirmed it works i did not even move through the fight at all awesome very good I very good yeah uh, normally i'll be honest i normally save use the left of my explosive darts believing that's what they're well, there for and they're pretty good they're pretty good i was gonna say yeah they're pretty good i was gonna say but we already know you don't use the gas rounds which would make it even easier for you <laughs> I do not use the gas rounds no. but he I, knows for future times if he ever plays it again I will I will I will definitely play again yeah. I was saving the uh, explosive darts for Alexia I was uh, it's actually a really difficult fight he killed me at least four times and I have to endure a, it seems to be a, the longest FMV cutscene just to get to that point again the tyrant fight for anyone who's ever done a rocket launcher run um, and you don't have like one of these tactics down the tyrant plane fight is one of those heart and mouth A rank ruining moments because oh, you know yeah. one mistake can get you knocked out of the plane or something if you, yeah. you're trying to fight it sort of traditionally I, I remember watching a very early video it must have been like a YouTube video or something of someone um, also playing this <laughs> name I forgot someone playing that and ran back Backwards, trying to avoid the tyrant and ran off the edge of the plane. <laughs> Hats off to very... the writer, though. Boss battle location. You know, fucking hell, a tyrant on the back of a plane with the cargo hatch open. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, got, it's the set pieces are epic. And you've got um, the two variations as well, whether he only just sends him off the edge or if you almost just you know send him off the edge and oh, he pushes it back yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's great uh, the first time i was playing it and just like shit i you know almost yeah i have said oh no fuck he's still on there um <laughs> and yeah. the eagle-eyed amongst you can spot dij cowering in fear he is in the, the corner uh, in the shelves at the back of the room yeah it's a nice touch too. i didn't see him that kind of concludes the rockfall island part for claire and most of you probably would have thought well that's been a decent length game. I think the first time you'd, you'd probably be up to at least six hours by now. We take evasive action and end up in Antarctica of all places. Again, because it's something that I experienced on this, because it's a lighter area of the game, it really suffers in uh, in, in terms of its visual uh, aesthetic. Again, that's a, a PS2 thing. PS2, yeah. Watched out, and especially on modern monitors, uh, it's such a white, starky contract. Even I had that on my dumb playing the PS on the PS4, mm. and it's still the same. So yeah, very, very grey and dull. And Code Veronica then continues its tradition of having quite annoying enemies with the uh, the moths who can fuck right off. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just make two quick points? I mean, yeah, I, I think that this is the blandest of, of all the locations, and it, and it really does suffer, particularly with what it served up previous to this. I, I mean, I think it goes back to, 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 to good form when you sort of um, leave kind of uh, and you take over at risk. But this beginning section of Antarctica with Claire, you, you're right. They are pretty bland locations. And with the moths that have annoyed the fuck out of me over the years, oh. I've now just taken to just shooting them. If you've conserved your ammo up to this point, 
and can concede the fact that they're going to spawn. But you're, you're not going back and forth too much. For what you lose in ammo, my God, the frustration that you, you do without. But they respawn. Yeah. The expenditure of three bullets is better than the hassle of being hit, potentially poisoned or poisoned. Yes. Or hit with a little critter on your back, which then poisons you because it never hatches in the <laughs> same room. It always hatches in a later <laughs> yeah. room, and then you get poisoned. And then, like the easiest way to get healed is the blue herbs, which are in the room with the moths. So, what's that thing about? You only get poisoned if it, if they hatch in a different room. No, so you get poisoned if you get hit by the dust that they. Yep lid off you get poisoned sometimes i think the percentage is probably like 80 percent of the time yeah, by the I little pressure always. if they get on it you don't always but by, you, it's by, most of the time i don't it's think like, i've always been poisoned by the spray either yeah the poison by the spray also doesn't always poison you okay. and also the spray poison sometimes doesn't take seem to take health off but the bites do and if they land on your back they definitely also take health it's weird it's just frustrating and it's just like george is saying it i, I just wanted to point out in the cutscenes beforehand obviously they think they're going to escape and then the plane diverts because of the water pipe because of alfred who's gotten in the jet by this point i like the little nod to the fact that obviously he didn't have control just over their plane but all the planes that they saw take off earlier before they left in the airport yeah like have been diverted there as well like the outbreak is caused because of alfred sending all of the planes there which i think is a nice touch yeah, yeah. They comment on the fact all the other planes that they saw had landed. It just shows you how quickly it spreads, though. As that, there would maybe have been people infected on board already. There would have to have been, but in order to infect the entire area. But then I suppose the confusion would have released. Well, I don't know why would there be moths. Where have the moths come from? It happened very quickly. Yeah, I was gonna, this is this is very, where I was going quickly. with it. I mean, because his body's encased by the moths. Yeah. This is like, this is this is a bit. This is where I was going with this. This is the bit that I don't get though. Is the time frame for how this went? It it happens very rapidly, and I'm wondering was there already something going on at the lab beforehand, or did it all happen because of Alfred's impact on trying to get the planes diverted to the Antarctic? Which I assume is the idea it's supposed to be, but it's yeah, it's a bit messy. How many planes take off? The planes that they saw took off about 10 minutes before they left, so they're not that far ahead of them too. Like mm. so. Even even if the time distance of the trip is long, because obviously there's a distance at night to or morning to whatever time it is when they arrive, the planes would have only arrived not much longer before them. In yeah. like, DOJ's diary, it just says, I couldn't believe it. The transport landed in a base on the ice Antarctica. And on, on top of it all, the transport that landed before us spilled tons of the T-virus and everything alive had to, already turned into zombies. Ah. Yeah. So, the tr but the transport that he's talking about is probably the ones that we see that yeah. Claire and Steve see taking off. We talked about some of the areas already of the terminal. Some weird puzzles and you know barcode stickers and God knows what. The whole gas mask and have to do that whole palaver is because Steve can't take his eyes off Claire's backside. Yeah, I've always thought the same thing was about Claire's backside, but he actually looks at her back. He looks at at the back of her in general. Like the subjective view is actually looking more at her head. I always thought it was him looking at her ass too but it wasn't so. <laughs> clearly the developers of Dark Side Chronicles thought it was a backside so they... <laughs> hey, I was going to say this is where it's come from yeah but yeah there's just annoying there's annoying things in this with like the and the, also... the valve handle then you got to get the octo valve and change oh, it yeah I was going to say unless you check the valve yeah, you don't know to change the thing and it's... who forgets to make that mental check I never now but I used to yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so frustrating 
And generally, I found Black Widow spiders actually to be much more of a pain than the web spinners, generally because of their size. I think they're quite hard to... You have to let them get quite close to target them. And they seem to be very resilient towards a lot of gunfire. I'm not sure if there's a specialist weapon that you should use against them. They, they probably do a lot of damage as well. They, they grab... They do their kind of facehugger-esque attack on you. They really really drain your health. I like the fact that you cause the giant Black Widow spider to exist, which is quite exciting. And then, of course, Alexia uses it to her advantage later on uh, as, a, as a way to try and kill off Chris. What I do like, the fact that when you first go to Antarctica, it is completely silent. There is no music at all outside of the save room. I think that's got music, but everywhere else it's completely silent until you turn the power back on. I don't think the save room even has music because you it just have the sound of yeah, D.I.J. rattling the that's locker. Right. That's yeah, right. It's yeah, a yeah. really nice touch, actually. And I thought that was really nice. And then the lighting improves in it because I can actually see what I'm doing. I've missed so many items on my version. The lighting's still terrible. Like, I, oh, is it? It's it, yeah. It's it's something that definitely got improved a lot in the MT Framework version. But even the original game, the lighting is not. Even when you've turned the lights on, there's a little it bit. It just uses so much fog in those areas yeah it's a lot of foggy which makes sense because it's cold cold and there'd be like dense air and stuff I kind of it has a certain atmosphere to it and I think that's also exacerbated by the sound design the sound design in there is really good everything's got an echoey crispness to it the zombie sounds the footsteps everything has had this kind of right level of reverb in the open areas it's quite nice I mean let's be honest the Nosferatu Alexander fight. oh blimey that must have brought some stories I had totally forgot when it happened I say that because the game tells you to an extent it's like are you ready to go it's like yeah or, or you don't have to go you can go back I totally forgot that there was no item box before it so I was ill prepared for Nosferatu so I had the sniper rifle I had about 17 handgun bullets there's um, some hidden on the platform as well if you need it, the extra yeah Honestly, I actually considered it hadn't saved, and I was fuming, and it took me five attempts to do Nosferatu, and he's an absolute bugger of a boss, he really is, and thankfully I got the cool sniper rifle ending, uh, which I've never got before. I came to the recent conclusion on the last time I played it, it's actually easier to kill him if you move closer and do it fast than it is to move further away and try and snipe him. Because if you get closer, I, I worked this out, if you get closer with the sniper rifle and you do it quickly, you've got a very large target in front of you very close that you can zoom in into even a little bit if you want to if you hit him in the chest it nulls his attacks because he spins and groans and and if you do that three times quickly he dies straight away obviously with the sniper off it's only three shots yeah i wish i'd realized this a lot earlier <laughs> no and, and of course you can't heal yourself uh, in terms of poison if you get poisoned yeah you can't see what your health is other than the physical representation of how yeah. you you walk i actually prefer getting poisoned not for that reason but it makes the run chris later on easier yeah, for me yeah. like the actual path i take but if you don't get poisoned it's not the end of the world i uh, how did you get on i used all my explosive bowgun rounds on him so the fight was over in about 15 seconds because you get such a good range with the bowgun you can still stay well away from him and his poison can't get to you and then i think i used one shot from the sniper rifle and i got that nice little cut scene just to finish him off very good. Stars, I think you did something a bit different. Well, I had about nine deaths against <laughs> him, or, or nine retries, um, because I thought I was going to make it my mission to get the knife kill, which I've never, ever done before. Jesus, it's I wouldn't recommend it. Because the thing is, I mean, you can kill him with the knife and not trigger the, the cutscene. 
So oh. I'd actually like wore him down with basically, you know, my, my weapons. I'd hit him with, I got two crits with the sniper rifle, hit him a few more times, he sort of recoils in pain one more time, and then you know you're set up. But at that point, like, sort of any hit from the knife will kill him unless you get, you, you need to make him basically do the same animation he does if you get a sniper rifle bullet. And to do that, you've got to stand at a reasonable distance away, do a kind of upward slash, so the last hit of the knife will hit his heart, and then you trigger it. I died a couple of times don't get me wrong got knocked off the roof a couple of times but you know some of those attempts were also where i actually killed him traditionally and then had to reload but i did it in the end yeah i wish i it was one of those moments i wish i was streaming it so people could see it but uh, (laughs) yeah i did have actually done it and it is a cool little sequence it's it's a variation of the sniper rifle death claire says the same line i have you now but she just sort of lunges low and then just stabs him straight in the heart i remember to go back to the save room before i pick up the sniper rifle and i just dump like almost everything in there for chris he's got loads of cool stuff and ammunition and weaponry and i just go up there so you know with the sniper rifle and just her gun uh, nothing else because you know as, as Robbie says you, you get a health item and some extra bullets up there yeah I've never had that in that extra cut scene I've never I don't even think I've seen it actually on YouTube I just take him out with the sniper rifle but I'm obviously not very good because I use up all the bullets and still then need to do a round of about 15 bullet shots for him to die and even on my last playthrough I had to after all that I had to a couple of knife rounds so in order to get that cut scene you've got to what like hit him directly in the heart three times yeah for the sniper one and then the, as, as Sean said for the knife as well uh, I've got that thing where you know you hit him once in the heart you know and he staggers backwards not enough to actually trigger a, a cutscene and again it's slightly different we've not really had a boss fight fight like that with the kind of poison elements kind of creeping in uh, along with obviously quite strong physical attacks where you can be knocked off the building and be beaten up by his kind of skeletal arm as well so for me again you know for what he is the, the history how we learn that he comes about where we find him locked up you know in, in a file uh, you know it's, it's alluded to him the moaning that we hear and then his his character design you just said the attacks the different variations that he had unleashes the, the specialized weapon that you use and, and the extra cutscene for me that you know that really lifts it up above is there anything that can kind of tickle those boxes in in resident evil 2 or 3 that kind of ends claire's game and uh, just as you're speeding off to safety you get a very nice fmv of alfred finally succumbing to his many times he probably should have died he seems to have quite superhuman resilience to being shot falling down a cliff and he's still <laughs> able to crawl his way quite significantly if you look how far he actually has to have come uh, <laughs> to get to the lab to awaken alexia just so that she can be does he awake her or does she just conveniently wake up because he seems genuinely surprised that she's awake yeah, it's, oh, it's that's a point. Coincidence, yeah. I think, but yeah. it's such a coincidence. Like, <laughs> to be fair, and I'm going to back, backtrack this entire thing around coincidence. There's a lot of coincidence of things in this game. Like, if you look right at the start of the game, you know the truck that crashed through the wall that's on fire, that sparks on fire, that has the case, that has the alloy that Claire actually needs to be able to get the crest to get. Like, the game is built around all of this. I can't really complain, again, but it yeah. does add to that video gamey element a lot more of convenience. I know large tentacles that cover the expanse of ice quicker than anything anything ever aside I do think that sequence is one of the best ever directed in the series in terms of the music and how it's put together no I'd, no, I'd, I'd, I'd entirely agree I think it's very good and it, le- it leads on very nicely to the next part I didn't expect to find another living person left on this island who are you? I came here looking for a certain girl a girl? 
Have you seen anyone named Claire Redfield? Did you just say... Claire? You know who she is, don't you? Don't worry about her. I helped her escape. Several planes took off from this island not long ago. While I can't say for certain, she was probably on one of them. I see. I guess my sister owes you. Thanks for helping. Everyone's gone. I may be the only other person left. Go on. Follow your sister and get off this island. What an entrance from Mr. Chris Redfield. Before we delve into his shenanigans on Rockfall Island, can we all just take a moment to appreciate what a kick-ass entry that is for Chris. Climbing up the cliff, action music blaring out. And then he drops his packed lunch. <laughs> and his samurai edge. Is that, is, is, that, is that your theory, or is that, tr- is that true? Well, I mean, if they ever did a remake, you'd know they would put his samurai edge in it. But it's a nice little fun theory, as you to wonder where it's gone. Yeah, Chris has a Glock 17, which looks like the same pistol that Jill now has in her remake, which is a nice bit of a continuity, if you like. I'm always just assuming that um, years later, when he's punching that boulder, he's always like, damn, that, that bloody <laughs> cliff free. I'm going to get my revenge on all the rocks. <laughs> it's a nice touch how he had his stars uniform on. I thought it was nice tribute to his fallen colleagues. Is there a law thing that it's like a prototype uniform? Yeah, it was supposed to be the new uniform, and he was trialing it when everything went to shit in Raccoon City, and he he wore it in Code Veronica as a tribute to all his fallen comrades, which I thought was a nice touch. That's nice. Yeah, I miss that, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) So he arrives on Rockfall. I mean, we've obviously spoken about quite a lot of the the areas, but Chris gets to see um, some slightly different areas, and he first encounters uh, Rodrigo. He has a very different attitude to Rodrigo, and he he just sees him as the umbrella employee that, of course, Rodrigo is. We've known Mm. him in the game a bit more sympathetic, and he helps Claire out, but, you know, Chris ain't taking no shit from this man. Where the hell is my sister? But that's a good point because we do sort of, he's quite beloved Rodrigo. Um, and I was thinking whilst playing the game that I liked a kind of slightly more sort of larger role than some of the other NPCs and the fact that we get to see him again as Chris. But take a moment, like, you know, to think what was he doing just, you know, just prior to that, you know, torturing innocent people. And yeah, no, it's a quite serious point that, yeah, he, you know, he was an umbrella employee. I'd be very interested to know there was an original design to have him involved a lot more and actually have him play a playable character possibly in the earlier design concepts for the game. And so there was going to be this whole thing about the history of his family to make him more sympathetic and like people in the island. And there's still only hints about it in the final game. It's such a shame. It kind of would have kind of enriched the character even more than what we do get with the glimpses we get, which is just really more towards the actual playable character. Because he's sat the, the gravestone well the, the graves of his parents isn't he yeah and this the only comments you get if you search was chris kind of notes that they seem to be like ancestors of people from the island and so forth yeah. when, when i first saw it i thought he was originally just going because he was trying to escape because it was you know it was going to lead to the cliff and they kind of got there and that was as far as he could go but obviously he's dying he knows this so he's going to where his ancestors came it's interesting because you would have thought he might wanted to have you know You'd think he wants to die, but presumably he's been bitten. Do we know, or is it injuries caused by the bombing? But it's never specified. He just has a he just has an abdominal injury. That's it. I've assumed, maybe rightly or wrongly, he was on the truck that crashed into the wall that's on fire and becomes on fire, and he gets out. Oh yeah. Um, there's no confirmation of that, rightly or wrongly. It's just 
was an assumption when I originally played the game. I kind of got the impression he maybe wasn't dying, he just didn't want to leave the island. Yeah, he almost seemed like resigned, didn't he? That's what, yeah. how I always felt. as almost like, I don't know, almost regretful that he was even working for Umbrella in the first place. I don't know, almost guilty and almost like he just deserved it. That was his fate that he deserved. Yeah. There's obviously bleeding out because he wants the medicine, but... I think he did, he did feel guilty working for Umbrella because Umbrella forcibly bought the island and uh, I think they burnt the village down of the people who lived there so you know he, he has got a hatred of umbrella but because he had no other choice he ended up working with them yeah he was born on the island i think so yeah i think he just didn't want to leave and i'll say it's interesting because this is possibly one of the first times maybe before say resident evil 7 your first involvement you've got a boss fight straight off the bat so yeah it's a boss fight yeah yeah how did everyone get on and oh. a, que- a question i want to know can you not do it to save rodrigo because i've always have you don't have to serve Rodrigo. Unless you kill the worm, though, does I, it? I wasn't sure if there's like an internal timeline whereby he'll be swallowed by the gold worm. Does the lift not come eventually? I, you know, I actually don't know. I, I've always killed the worm, so... Rob? <laughs> Ask me. No, I don't know. I've uh, I've always killed the worm. I, I've always wanted the lighter to get the guns. And yeah. even the first times I played it, I, I just thought, oh, boss fight, cool. Yeah, okay, I'll take on the worm. There's some The idea is obviously usually you've left supplies in the in the crate of some description. I guess it must be made, like, I'm going to take an educated guess without having to look at that maybe you can, because what happens if you haven't got anything? And you, well, actually, no, that's not true either. I was going to say, maybe it's because in case you didn't have everything away in your item box that you could possibly use, you've exhausted most of your ammo and all you've got is literally Chris's knife and whatever, like, random guns you can find in them might not be enough to kill it yeah but they would just go all right well that's it. it's tough you just have to replay the game what because what happens if you don't go back as as um claire to give the medicine to rodrigo isn't he dead at this point and would he be dead at this point because i've never not no given he's him. still he still appears ah okay the cutscene must be slightly different though because obviously you won't give chris the lighter i think he still gives him the lighter i think it's just a generic lighter that you get regardless i'm pretty sure claire would be able to she would still always have the lighter she still have the lighter she wouldn't you wouldn't be able to put it in her item box because it's a key item, a special item, isn't it? She, she keeps it and she can, there's certain things she can do with the lighter because later on Chris can use it to open, like on Antarctica, there's a cupboard yes, you can use the detonator on that you can use that. You can either do that straight away with Claire if she's still got the lighter. But a tough boss, actually. I think I think the gold worm yeah, is quite tricky. You say that, Nick. But I do. Rob, I, I watched um, Rob's stream before I got to do it myself and it's the first time I've ever seen anybody use the bowgun bolts and I tried it and it's an absolute it's just ridiculously easy try the bogon bolts next time <laughs> <laughs> let's review this podcast in terms of enemy dispatchment what's been the overall impression what's good in this game so we've now got the gulp worm with explosive bolt <laughs> so we've got the tyrant is pretty good for the gulp bomb oh hunters but... hunters well, I'll, get pretty... onto, well, I'll get onto this later but oh my god just the problems i've had nick the simple answer is everything everything <laughs> literally everything jo- I'm, I'm not even going to exaggerate that <laughs> have they overpowered it as a weapon then was it not balance properly do you think i think you're oh, right. it's, it's super overpowered. but then it's limited like i think the maximum memo you can get is something like 40 or 50 bolts i think you find 50, every yeah. Sing- yeah every single powder i think it's 50 which in theory is enough to kill if you if you space them out sensibly is enough to kill most of the bosses most people don't use it against alex because 
they used the sniper rifle. Yes, what John said, 15 but seconds they, it took him for the, with the, yeah, <laughs> the bulk. Yeah, and that's it. So it's the range, yeah. The gulp worm, I always just blast it with the AK-47, my weapon of choice for the gulp worm. Yeah, it's good. It doesn't take much either. Yeah, I, I found the AK-47 is a funny weapon. I don't think it's as effective as it could be. Rubbish on the spiders. Yeah, I was, I, it's a good, I was just about to say with the spiders, because I, t- I took it out on them uh, at one point thinking an easy. But yeah, Quikey just almost seemed just hardly more effective than the shotgun. All right, so we've disposed of said gulp worm. We've obtained said lighter. And now we are taking the elevator back to the only one of the rooms that we couldn't get to. One of the doors we couldn't go through. Sorry, Nick. Just to, to clarify, I just went to go check. You can skip the second gulp worm fight. You just don't get the lighter and submachine. Makes sense. I've got a funny feeling I did that in 2001. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did, Nick. Of course I did. <laughs> it's easy to miss that little thing where the submachine guns are hidden, though. Yeah, yeah. So easy, so yeah, overlooked if you don't know what it is. So hitting back into the uh, management training facility area that, that, that Chris explores, I like the fact the whole place has gone to hell after the kind of self-destruct system that's kind of blown up, and you've now got a very different path uh, where you went before with Claire. So I found it a lot more linear, very narrow as to which you can go but there's a, there's a couple of options um, to explore and the, the first kind of main area that you get to honestly a hub point is the connection between under the tank that kind of corridor and the subsequent waterway where you have that moaning zombie and the stairs that go up and down if you put the shotgun that whole level is the whole kind of new area that you didn't get to explore with Claire I always get tangled up at that point with taking the shotgun and too early and then having to put it back so for, for this one I had stopped that much ammo I just left the shotgun on the rack until I'd done everything and then picked it up just yeah, before I, I went to get the plane I did exactly the same as well I didn't even open the manhole until literally I had the halberd ready to go felt it was a very quick way through it actually yeah because otherwise I think you can, in my in my run through I was unlo- you know loading it up loading it up because it was just it just becomes tedious doesn't it if you need to get to a particular point and you want to go through the manhole you've got to go through the manhole cover up the lift which sometimes is broken if uh, after I think you trigger the Wesker encounter that remains stuck at the top so you can go up there around the tank into the main area up the small lift where Steve's dad killed along along that thing down into the onto the main lift down into the basement up the ladder back into the, and then back into the training it is, it is a absolute mammoth route just to get back to that particular point you want if you need to get to the where, where the kind of water fountain the easiest thing to do is if you get the lighter use the Lighter for the submachine guns, just use the submachine guns for pretty much the entire run yeah. through Rockford. Don't even bother with the shotgun until you're leaving, like the guys have done. Pretty much just use the submachine guns and you'll be fine. I actually find there, um, the double hunters in the gulp worm yard fall down really easy to the submachine guns. Ah, oh, I wish I'd known this an hour ago. <laughs> But you do have to alternate because like, your auto aim will get the first one that's closest to you and yeah. then you just have to kind of alternate between them. But it only takes like a few rounds to not actually knock one over and then you just move to the other one until they're both dead. And if you get a rhythm going, they fall really easily. If you don't kill those two hunters, do the enemies in that yard stay as the hunters or will they always get replaced by the sweepers later? They still always get replaced. Yep. They always yeah. do, do they? Because yep. those sweepers are fucking bastards. Really <laughs> are. Yeah. That is hands down as far as regulating go the hardest point in the game yeah i sent a message to you guys in the facebook chat you know across all video games not just resident evil of all enemies and and today just repeatedly uh, no <laughs> matter how, how yeah no matter how prepared because i tend to get one that will just jump through the air i mean i wanted to ask you guys if you feel that these are the hardest hunters across the series i find on average like i mean maybe the shotgun's not the best i learned the hard way that shotgun just isn't powerful enough because you know even three or four no way 
you know, you've got to do five, six shotguns. And, and, and even after about four, they'll just jump through there and decapitate you. But those psychedelic bastards. Sweet. Yeah. There's a double-edged answer to that, I think, Paul. By themselves, individually, no. When they're together, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but it's really when there's multiples when there's just one they're pretty easily dispatched but it's just okay. the distraction of having multiple ones that's why that makes that bit with those two sweepers so damn hard always an element plus two enemies kind of tag teaming you those the sweepers can get you down very fast and they're on you straight away aren't they yeah they run straight at you <laughs> i've played through the game with the rocket launcher after i unlocked it just to have a bit of a blast and he still killed me. <laughs> Even with the rocket launcher, yeah, because they're yeah. that fast. The other thing with the rocket launcher, you can't aim up or down, so it's you can't kill dogs, and you can't kill the hunters once they go into the animation where they sweep in close, because they duck below the range of the rocket launcher. So unless you get them before they're running at you, or in the air, which you kind of can get sometimes, they're so fast. Often the shotgun almost just seems to make them angry, and hardly does anything. <laughs> yeah. They turn around and just decapitate you. That's why I love you talk about the bowgun explosives, because I'd never done one on a hunter, and one of them where you, um, as Chris, you go to retrieve the, the army proofs and you turn off the electricity to get it back and there's one hunter in that area. And he had repeatedly killed me for almost like half an hour, constantly going back. And so I just thought, fine, I just thought, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to take him out with an explosive bowgun. And it was wonderful. I went in there. This guy's like killed me 20 times. And I, I did one explosive bowgun and it just sent this guy just flying to that large uh, metallic kind of cabinet that's by where you turn the electricity off, just sliding unceremoniously on his belly, just literally across the floor, hits it with his head into that cabinet. Just, it was an embarrassing death for him and it was wonderful. It's funny how we, we all had the same problem at exactly the same point. I mean, I was killed mm. about three times by those sweepers. As I said, I, I thought I was being clever because I knew sweepers were in that point. I thought if I leave the hunters there from the previous go, then it'll just remain as hunters and I'll be all right. But no, alas, not. Well, there's there's a bit of an elephant in the room when it comes to the, the hunters. Who brought the hunters? And that brings us nicely on to the return of Mr. Albert Wesker. Something which perhaps isn't as teased in the X version than it is in the normal version. But we do get a nice little scene, which I suppose does technically kind of happen in, in the original game. You just never see it with Wesker releasing said hunters and you see the capsules that they're in and so forth. But kind of Code Veronica steps into the void and shows us exactly how these hunters are transported in, in into the island from his from from HCF. The introduction of Wesker is always a interesting and I'd say divisive point. I mean m- most people love Wesker, hence he's come back far too many times and the rumors still persist he's going to come back again. This was unexpected at the time. <laughs> Long time no see, Chris. Wesker? Still alive? <laughs> what are you doing here? I came for Lexia. Who? An organization hired me to capture her. Wait! You attacked the island! And my sister! to a new organization. Now, die. So, there was a lot of general confusion as to how the hell he came back because he got impaled, but 
do we think he came back in a successful manner? From a personal point of view, this this game wasn't on my radar at all, really. Even though I loved the first three, there was just no way I could afford a Dreamcast, so I hadn't really paid any attention to it. And then I saw a screenshot of Wesker with his reptile eyes, and he didn't have his sunglasses on, and I thought, that looks like Wesker, but I thought, it can't be him, because he's obviously dead, and he didn't have his sunglasses on. But that plot point, when it was confirmed that he was coming back, was my sole interest in this game, because I thought, oh, it's actually a recurring villain, this is really cool. And that, that's what sparked my interest in continuing to follow the series because I knew there was no way at the time I would ever get to play the game for myself one of my friends eventually got it and I went round to watch him play it and all I was really interested in was how the explanation for how Wesker came back and the vanilla version of the game obviously just doesn't do anything he just turns up and fucks off and that's just, that's what started my massive disappointment with the game ever since here's the origin story it's where it all began everyone <laughs> But I mean, yeah, it's I mean, an iconic performance, though. I'm sure you'll agree, Sean. The voice. I, I, I enjoyed the performance. I've always said that I found it a little bit too histrionic towards the end, you know, in Resident Evil 5, sort of too over the top. Yeah, I thought it was a good performance. There's a certain, I say charm, but there's a certain arrogance to his yeah, voice. This, this is what I mean. I think there's a good balance here for the character where he's at at this point that, no, slight against your, your everyone's favourite DC Douglas, but like DC plays him up like the maniacal supervillain, which I guess he is by the time, you know, by five, but I just, there's just a, there's a malevolence that's perhaps a little bit too over the top for my liking. Mm. So this version kind of gets a good balance on. That's it's a good point because sometimes I'm critical of that performance and I, I fail to take notice. You're right that, that he has become, you know, yeah, you know, a far more OP and a, 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 and a far more a kind of exaggerated character by that anyway. So perhaps, you know, DC's performance is consistent and good with that. I know Rick War in the past has said he based, well not solely on, but he took inspiration from Shere Khan in uh, Jungle Book. Oh. Uh, for, yeah. Mm-hmm. What I find quite amusing between Chris and Wesker's interactions is that, I mean, obviously Wesker's got the upper hand and he's about to kill him on two separate occasions, but he's very easily distracted, isn't he? You know, yeah. <laughs> any video interruption is, oh, sorry, oh, I, I need to, <laughs> off he goes. <laughs> it's like, just finish the job, man. <laughs> Even with Clear, he kind of distracts himself. He could easily kill her and kind of makes this whole plan about wanting to kill her and then he's like, no, nah, I'm going to actually wait until your brother gets here, but then of course she escapes before he gets that chance <laughs> I think he fancies Alexia and he's just scared of her because you know like you say on the, without even doing very much he rushes off and then even that scene when, with the Alexia battle when he, you know he's about to take her off with him and then suddenly Chris turns up and he's just, oh, I'll, just I'll leave this one to you and, and just buggers off again arguably a bit of a coward I am glad he came back though because I think the storyline was definitely stronger having that recurring villain in it for all those years yeah I'm, I'm with you John I've said the same thing you know when they killed killed him off and sure you know that's just what it is it kind of they've tried to always invoke something to replace him and it's never quite been the same and it becomes these very singular villain kind of things so one of the unique elements of chris's regime through rockford is that as i early kind of explore a couple of new areas leading to the most epic boss fight of all time the albinoid everyone loves the albinoid fight i mean it's built up as being the big one you know you're not getting off this island till you face this pink electric salamander and bit of a damp squid i think we can all safely agree not quite how the fmvs and all the the teases of the electrical zaps as the plate falls down the down the river and whatnot you're all building up to some huge big open fight with some gantuan and challenging bow and in the end you don't even need to fight him you just run in pick up the plate and run out I was going to ask you, Nick, because this is this is the bit that I was quite shocked at. So you didn't even know you could 
fight him. You just assumed that you just hit the run. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I didn't know. I thought he was he was he was just you know something that was getting in my way. And the skill in the boss fight was not to fight him, just to try and time your run perfectly so that you can pick up the plate because he does sit on it occasionally as he swims around. But no, I yeah. didn't. I didn't know. I thought he was actually impregnable of harm because he <laughs> a bit a bit like Morpheus kind of made like an electrical field around him. So I've never fought him. <laughs> And those electrical shocks are, are, are quite strong because I died a couple of times today by just basically thinking this is going to be quite straightforward. Just get in and, and, and grab it and run, which is what I normally do. I don't think I've ever taken him out, actually. <laughs> um, but I just got unlucky today because, yeah, I, just, I think three of those electrical charges and you're dead. Also quite strong if he does knock you over too. Yeah. Yeah, he's got take a powerful kind of headbutt charge, isn't he? And if you, yeah, um, yeah. and it can take a long time to get back up, and especially if you're on danger or something, to then crawl back. I think you get a, you get a bit of grace in crawl as soon as as long as you get to the edge and then press X. There's a bit of a pause, at least in the uh, the PAL version, anyway, before you actually then leap up, but you, you won't get hit. Oh, is that is yeah, that an iframe? Does... Am, am I using the right term? Is that an iframe? An iframe. It's the. I think it's just the stuff of the animation. It's it's yeah, it's true. If you're in the animation of climbing out and the electrical thing happens, you don't get zapped. The, the it... thing that'll be interesting as well is the the PS2 version. You can't even barely see in the water where it is. You you kind of have to either wait for the electrical charge and then kind of lights up and you can see it. And I'm guessing maybe the Dreamcast version was the same because it's using the same textures. But interestingly, on the PS3 version, you can see where it is the whole time because it's got like, like a translucent effect, so you can run straight for it. It makes it a lot easier to get and not get damaged, I found, when I originally played it. Did anyone have any funny stories with the Albanoid, or is it relatively straightforward for everyone on their playthroughs? In terms of BOW, <laughs> I'm guessing it's another training-type BOW. I mean, it's a, it's a salamander of some description. Presumably, because it's pink, it's like, a, I'm guessing it's like an axolotl. That's, I mean, that's what I used to... That's what I researched it as, but is it? A, there it... is a file. George referred to it's on a board. Early, you know, earlier on, you can find yes, oh, the projection, true. like a like an image file. Yeah, and it tells you a bit about it. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be like an infiltration thing because the infant ones get sent into enemy territory when they're still small and compromise the water supply and they can send out these huge electrical shocks. Oh, that's quite cool. And then obviously when they're like, growing... They can grow in like, I'd say like something like 10 hours, I think it is. Yeah. Are they trying to suggest that salamanders are native though, to that part of the world? I'm sure it says that, sal- that particular salamander can be found on Rockfall Island. I'm sure it says yeah. that. Well, once you have the eagle plate, you can then remove the halberd. You can then... Uh, go back to your save room. Before we get to the plane, did everyone do the optional uh, volcano puzzle room thing in the save room to get the gold luger? Yes. Yeah. That just unlocks Steve, doesn't it, in the battle game? It's a good puzzle, really, so, actually, because it, you, you. Oh, it's kind of silly. Like you might as well have just been a pick-up item that you had they'd hidden away rather than the puzzle, because it's it's not particularly that hard. It's two, three, one, <laughs> basically. You got to look at the picture of Rockfall, haven't you, in the island or the volcano? Oh, to, to work it out, but yeah, like the draw itself, so you're not. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone get taken out by the zombies with the C4 on the backs? No. No. Thank no. God. <laughs> is there an explanation as to why they've got C4 straps? Probably something to do with Wesker again. <laughs> they all seem to be the guys working for Wesker, yeah. We mentioned earlier how the uh, how the ones with the red eye trail 
are pretty cool. But um, oh, I love those. I was just gonna say these these guys. Like I always thought about this. Not so much now, but I remember when I first played it. I was like, well, we don't see any of the rest of his team alive, and we see a bunch of zombies of the team that arrive. So I'm like, they're pretty useless. Like forces guys if they all just get killed and turned mm-hmm. into zombies. Yeah, I mean the the lack of HEF generally is quite. You know, he, but he's on the phone to people quite a lot, isn't he? He's always having communications, uh, both at yeah. the end and at the beginning, but we never know who or where they are. His men recover Steve's body as well, so there's obviously some running around somewhere. And the impression you get when you wake up with the bombing is that there's there's a lot of activity going on. You know, this is a full-scale you know, attack on the island. It's not some sort of stealth thing. So not even like with Resident Evil 3, where we find some of the mercenary bodies around with files that we can read. It's a shame that we don't see any evidence of, of the HCF at all. But again, it's not, it's not overtly clear that they're Wesker's on. Unless you re- look at the, um, you know, like a strategy guide or something like that, you may just assume that they are, you know, soldiers from the. And this also we were talking about earlier, like people start thinking that the red eyes mean <laughs> that's <laughs> somehow <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But we do get a nice scene with Chris going back to his earlier career as being a uh, aircraft pilot and jetting off from Rockfort to go save Claire. Alfred had a spare Harrier jump jet, as one does. They're quite expensive Harrier jump jets, so um, he's off, they're obviously very rich. They're about 100 million each. Be no expense. Yeah, they obviously had the spare. It was, it was underground or something. It, it was almost a kind of lift as you come in. It just rises up. Well, there's two of them in there, I think, early on when you see Alfred using it you can see there's one in the position where it was and there was one that was kind of further away and that's the one that gets kind yeah. of pulled out for trust when he arrives so you jet off to antarctica and uh, you land in a slightly different area to obviously where claire lands uh, but you, you're quickly into the same uh, part of the antarctic terminal where you are initially uh, confronted by tentacles in the wall and i'm sure everyone thought well i can just run past them and you're quickly brutally told that no you cannot then you keep trying keep trying and then re- realize you're health is actually going down and so you're gonna have to take them out and they take a lot don't they they take quite a lot of hits it's kind of annoying i think they take like grenade rounds like a couple each if you use those it's one of those things i just wish wasn't in the game it's one of those fantastical elements that just spoils it i think well in many in many ways i'm not quite sure what it has to do with an ant i mean if if you're going if you're going off on the idea that you know alexia is becoming the queen ant and whatnot which of course is built out through ords and she's got her pod which is the nest and there's loads of little ants you're going that's all fine where the hell does a whacking great tentacle arm suddenly come into it you know that's not a a natural feature of any uh ant nest i know because part of the T. Veronica virus has plant DNA in it as well. The plant has been there alongside the anthill for 15 years, and as soon as Alexia awakens, she's got symbiosis with it, so she can control it all. Oh. And the idea is the plant gives off pheromones, which helps troll the ants as well. Oh, okay, well, um, I'll take that back then. Bit more, bit more logical. But you and saw I... how she used that massive tentacle to travel dozens of miles across the snow to get. Claire and Steve, it's like she could just use that tentacle to destroy the base and kill Chris as soon as he arrives, that sort of thing. It's just one of those things. I mean, I, I, I sort of understand why it's there, but I wish I wish it wasn't there. It's just something that's just not needed. Because from Alexis' point of view, what's she actually doing now that she's awoken? Why, as you said, she's ca- obviously she's going to take a bit of revenge on uh, the killing of Alfred and, you know, she captures Steve and Claire. You want, she wants to experiment a bit on Steve. All fine. Not a problem with that. What's she waiting for after that point? She, I mean, she obviously works out Chris may be coming but you know what's stopping her just 
starting her world domination plan? Why is she toying? Why is she going, oh, look, here's a Black Widow spider. Have fun. The impression I got playing it for the first time was that this was sort of very... It's how you read her relationship with Alfred because on the first playthrough, I kind of got the impression this was very much revenge for his death. The world around her, as she expected it to be, when she came out of her, you know, cryogenic sleep, it, things were quite different. You know, she perhaps expected, certainly, you know, not for the base to be under attack. And so, yeah, and I, you know, I just, I presume, you know, that, that, that things were going quite right in terms of what she expected to find, you know, on, on her awakening. This was very much a kind of, you know, revenge against the people that have, uh, you know, destroyed her brother, destroyed her island. Do you ever get the impression from her specifically that she, that's what she's after? She seems far more grandiose than petty revenge against her brother, who she didn't hold... I don't think in that high regard. Well, you definitely got a point in terms of her dialogue because her dialogue is very limited. And mm. so, yeah, you, you get very little... You know, she's like, you know, you're not worthy of this power, you know, that kind of thing. And Well, okay, so exploring onwards with Chris, uh, the first kind of new area you get to explore. And I love the fact that it's all frozen because it can be easily lost in the um, in the final closure of the of Claire's game is that the whole place gets flooded because of their drilling because it's the Antarctica and it's because it's absolutely Baltic outside it all freezes over and so it makes perfect sense you know that that main room is now suddenly full of ice um, and so it gives off a slightly different feel and environmental elements and I like the fact that there's that kind of continuity but change at the same time which of course you saw a bit early in Rockford but we see the giant black widow and, and Alexia uh, is toying with us and that kind of leads on to other areas and the kind of new lab areas and getting the extinguisher and so forth and you get to see a lot more of the terminal than you do with Claire before we head down to the into the doldrums if you like of the of the labs again <laughs> did anyone have a go at killing said black widow spider or is it just a run to to nosferatu to get the gem and then out again i actually avoided the spider but weirdly i found claire within five minutes of getting to the base and obviously triggered the wesker appearance and the alexa fight and so i'd pretty much done a majority of the game before i even used the crane to get the gem from Alexander's body. It was a really weird way of doing it. I've never done it before. You know, I ignored most of the puzzles and everything else that was optional and just went straight for Claire. Yeah, it was it was an odd experience. I can't really explain it because none of the base was powered up. I obviously couldn't get access to the labs, but I was sort of right at the end of the game, if that makes sense, because I'd fought Alexia's second form. Wesker had turned up and left again. Claire had had a final encounter with Steve. It was just really odd. I, I did all odd. that with it. 10 minutes of arriving at the base and I suppose you know it's nice that you have the option to do that and you can do things in a certain order you can do pretty much the entire last section in multiple different it's it's all the way you want to go the basic by going straight to clear you change the order and then that also changes based on whether or not she was poisoned if you, she wasn't poisoned then you have to do that part which then means you won't have to leave which is I believe what happened to you isn't it you, she wasn't poisoned so you went straight to the fight unprepared whereas obviously if she'd been poisoned you would have left to go get the serum and at that point you could have gone and done either some of the rest of it or um, yeah. uh, gone at least got weapons and ready for the fight so i remember sean when you did your stream uh, on the dreamcast version a couple of months ago you were saying and tell telling the list of viewers uh, about how you can speed up the last bit if, if you do a lot of preparing at the beginning if you before trigger everything you can kind of just go for it right at the end yeah i mean it's pretty much a variation of what john's just said there you you can do all the prep because the, the trigger point for like the end game is the freeing of Claire and then that leads on to a specific sequence of like Claire and Steve, then Chris versus Alexia and stuff like that. And you can either choose to go and grab the knife, free Claire straight away and then have all that to do at the end of the game 
or you can do a lot of the prep, get the proofs to open the door. Obviously, you can't open the door until you've killed Alexia, but you can do a lot of like the, the running around and the hard work. Once you've sort of had the Steve cutscene and the Alexia fight, if you've done all the pre-prep, there's like 10 minutes of the game left. Whereas yeah. I imagine, John, you probably had a good chunk of the game left. I had about another 40 minutes after that. And like yeah. you say, it was weird because I was in the end game and... I missed out on the Alexia cutscene at the Spider because obviously I'd already defeated her by that point. Yeah, so when I, I got there, the Spider was already loose. Yeah, we didn't uh, allude to, but did everyone upgrade Chris's handgun? I didn't. I I'd kept the Glock in the item box at the time, so when I got there to, with the chemicals, mm. I didn't have the gun upgraded. If you're gonna upgrade it and you've been putting it in your item box, the time to grab it is when you're you go down to the seaport and then when you're coming back up, just before our favourite sweepers is when you should grab it because that's when one enemy that's really random has anyone gone and had a look at the moth where the moth zombie was no i don't i just run through that i just blast ornament and then leave there's a bonus enemy in there that probably nice people don't even know about which is that if you go and visit there the uh, moth egg that was laid when you saw clear it hatches and there's this little kind of slightly larger version of the little critter that comes out and bites clear attacks you it's kind of got like two claw arms and slightly larger Uh, i've seen i did not know that no but i've seen that artwork because that's in the archives it's that little white thing with the hooks, isn't it? Yeah. I always, assu- I always assumed it was just an incomplete drawing. You tell it's supposed to be the moth. I was like, oh, they must have just half finished the story. But that's where it comes from. Oh. So uh, the zombie that was on the top falls down and one other zombie gets up. And the idea is that the one that gets up is very close to you, so it distracts you. And then the one that's fallen down, the, the thing basically jumps out like a chest burster and attaches itself to you. And uh, yeah, is, it's worth checking out. So. No idea. See, 20 years later, guys, yeah. we're <laughs> uncovering these little secrets. Oh, yeah. There's not secrets to everyone, but it certainly was to me. Aside from the deaths I'd received trying to do the uh, knife kill on Alexander, I did die once at the sweepers that we talked about in the Gulp Worm Yard, and I just fucked up royally the Alexia fight for the first time in years. I always take the python in, and she's down in like five six shots isn't it I think, yep. is it five five uh, shots yeah five shots and i just fucking kept running into her i don't know what was going on with my controls or you know i was just misjudging it so badly i probably died it was two in a row and that's probably two more times than i than i have done in the last 10 years i can i can't even remember the last time before this playthrough i died on that fight it was embarrassing i did the same thing because as i said because i went there really quickly i was completely unprepared i didn't have the colt python i had the the glock and the shotgun and that was it and I got killed three times by her Cause she's because she's tough isn't she draws a fire it just it doesn't seem to burn away it just completely boxes you in and like you say if she gets close enough she just picks you up and you're dead straight away the music is excellent though for that fight oh it's really good as a set yeah, piece yeah. I think it's a good fight it was a good sequence in the original but when they added the extras for that cutscene just added a little bit more to it and it just made it more epic that yeah. Wesker had these powers and he just basically can't even do any damage and he wimps out as Nick alluded to earlier it's like that made it even better I think there's exquisite characterization between Chris and Wesker as well in that scene I love how Wesker taunts Chris is, uh, by calling him his best man and stuff like that. <laughs> that that was where it all like began there like the real rivalry between them <laughs> at last I found you Alexia come with me You're responsible for the creation of the T. Veronica virus. And now the only existing sample is in your body. I want it. Now! 
You want it? You are not worthy of its power! scene alexia just beats the shit out of him yeah yeah just a big yeah. back slap it's interesting that they changed that cut scene you know for, for, for the remake i think perhaps presenting maybe i don't know if, if, if wesker or maybe even alexia looked too overpowered in the original yeah they wanted to give wesker a bit more a bit more of a battle and i was like batman i, I went into that fight with alexia a little bit unprepared i just i just had the block and the shotgun and um i really enjoyed that because she seemed to have a lot more variation in her attacks than some of of the other boss fights in the other games. And like you say, she can kind of box you in with the fire. And also her attacks, you know, there was kind of a combination. And it just felt, a lot of these boss battles in the past have just kind of felt like structured dances where you're just always doing the same routines. Whereas that one with Alexa, it kind of really felt a lot more free-moving, kind of random. So it's worth noting at that point too, when we're talking about that boss fight and the cult, and how easy it is with five bullets. I mean, this is all based on whether or not you bloody well remembered the fire extinguisher too. That's... So like most people, the first time they played it, they didn't probably, have the fire extinguisher because they didn't know about that so they prob most people ended up fighting her without the cold python the irony is we were talking about before with the f with bogon explosive bolts i didn't think i've ever tried using those against it <laughs> they're bound to be good aren't they <laughs> <laughs> I think what we also need to mention is the fact of where we're having this fight. We're having it in the Spencer Mansion main hall. A, Love it. a place yeah. of safety, normally. Love it. A, a version of it, anyway. Yeah. A version um, of it. Last count, I, th I believe, is there four rooms that they've recreated for this game? There's the main hall, there's the L-shaped corridor, there's the living room uh, where Claire starts her final bit, and there is the woman-bearing-water gallery, isn't there? That's a great question. I'm trying to think of any more if, if you want to be technically picky also the the little closet with the obviously with the statue with the red and blue jewels but it's kind of more of an homage to the uh actual puzzle than it is to the room itself. It is interesting though, we're, I mean that's what, game four of, of main games and we're already getting nostalgic. That, that, that blew my mind the first time I played it, because the fact that he, particularly in like the main hall there, they even replicate the camera angles. Yes um, they do, that's of, right. Of the ground floor was just really good and I mean I think I found Claire by chance the first time I ever played it just because I just wanted to do the, the circuit. What I like about that too is that they have that and then they also go, oh look at our new fancy graphics and we have like the but where if you walk up the stairs, the camera now follows you up. You know, yeah. like they, they were they were definitely showing off the fact that this is like that, but in three D. It makes sense that were they ever to remake it, they'll base it on the remake main hall, won't yeah. they? You can still see the face, by the way. There's a little, <laughs> <laughs> just a little question.
mission in the water hand, you know, where's the whatever lady holding the water? There's a map, isn't there? In the um, mm-hmm. can you get that? No, oh, Nick, <laughs> I've never Seriously, been really... Nick. Before anyone spoils it, Nick, what do you think you should do? <laughs> now that we've told you you can do it, what do you think we sh- you well, should do? Well, I'm guessing you can move the the statue. You can put yeah. feet in this guy's drip feet in this. <laughs> is, there, is there nothing in the room, Nick, that you've noticed can, before? Y- can you stand on the table? No. Anything on uh, the floor? About or about the floor? I don't. I, I, honestly, then oh, I'm Nicholas. <laughs> Imagine if you were asked this question at your panel in Portsmouth. <laughs> hey, Nick, I'm having this trouble in Code Veronica, and I'm yeah. really have to get that map. Uh, near the end of the game, and I don't quite know how to do it. Do you know how to do it, Nick? <laughs> Nick Nick would throw it in as trivia, saying, oh, there's actually an item in Code Veronica that you can't get. It's a curious, <laughs> yes. it's a curious story. It's, just, it's an homage <laughs> to the original Resident <laughs> Evil uh, that you can't actually get it, but it looks really much like the same. But for some <laughs> mysterious reason, you can push it around. I'm not quite sure why. I'm still... So, a, please. I don't want to put him out of his misery. Please. Please. The thing is, Nick, Nick, I did it in the fucking Dreamcast stream. Oh, I must have missed <laughs> But, oh dear. I, just, I mean, is it just the? I assume it is just the map. I could, I wasn't that bothered. Yeah, it's just the map. I'm fine, so, I'm fine. so in the corner with the table that you thought you might be able to climb up on, the the floor is slightly cracked, and if you check it, you get comment that it's broken and seems quite loose. And if you push the thing on top of it, it just falls down a hole at height for you to grab. So. Well, there we go. I did not know that. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. My name's Nick, and I love the puzzles in Resident Evil the most, but I just choose not to do any of them. (laughs) It is optional, if you want the map or not. And that's what I miss, that we don't get those environmental descriptions anymore in in the new games, because you get that, like you say, there's that little clue about not just that the floor is broken, but almost this curious little mention as to why would it be like that. Because, I mean, Nick Nick got me out of trouble when I spent about five or six attempts going back and forward to the tiger with the red and the blue jewels, you know, where you have to get the the butterfly as Chris, you know, the dragonfly body. And I hadn't turned the electricity off. And so I kept going back and forward with just one. And, I mean, you talk about backtracking, Jesus, that nearly that really nearly did test and break my love for this game but then nick mentions to me no you've got to turn the electricity off oh, sorry when you go back to the des- description of the tiger there is like that curious description as to you know this is being powered and and, and then you think oh why would it have told me that of course it's told me that because it's suggesting yeah the number of obtuse items that exist in this game is quite high and to, i have to be somewhat also unfair to the puzzles too some of them are a little bit obtuse on the point of if you don't get the clue then you will miss that like that's a perfect example there george like it's just if you didn't notice the power thing if you weren't really thinking it's it could be quite frustrating for the wrong reasons because you all of a sudden work out oh i need to grab that gem for something and obviously i can put it where but i can't get both of them what's going on until you actually click and yeah you'd be going back and forth three or four times before you kind of realize it's there's a, quite a few of those throughout the game. Just quickly about the identical mansion hall. It's a nice tribute to the first game, fair enough, but it fueled this myth that Umbrella liked to create identical facilities. This sort of is what led to the silly argument that the lab in Zero was just an identical copy of the, the one in Resident Evil 2 rather than actually being the same lab. And there's a nice little story explanation basically saying that George Trevor did 
blueprints for the redesign for the House of Ashford in England before he died. And Alexander took those plans and incorporated them into the Antarctic base, which is supposed to explain why some rooms are similar. The designs Trevor did for Edward Ashford are similar, but not identical to the ones he did for Spencer. And that's supposed to show the sort of professional rivalry between Edward Ashford and Spencer at that time. So it being identical has got actually nothing to do with Umbrella. And Umbrella don't create identical facilities. That's just a myth. This was purely a personal thing between Edward Ashford and Oswald Spencer. One of the files actually makes it sound. Is it Alexander or Edward who writes? It's Alexander's, isn't it? Yeah, he calls it his mansion, doesn't he? Yeah, but he, you alluded to him not actually referring to the Spencer mansion, but his private mansion in England. That's right. The Hunter drones are quite difficult to avoid in some of the places with the labs. I thought that was quite a good technique just to slightly detract from feeling such repetition with the backtracking that, you know, you had that mechanic where you had to sneak past, you know, the CCTV, as it were, that, you know, triggers the hunter. So I quite like that technique. I don't think we ever got that again in the game, did we? Well, it was interesting because Krauser uses something very similar in uh, Resident Evil 4. He has these, like, little drones that go after Leon before the fighting in the ruins. And I always thought then it was very similar technology to the drones uh, surveillance things that Wesker uses in this game. And it makes sense because they both work for the same company. One thing that also surprises me as well is the significance of when you've done the um, the twin room puzzle with the you know the music plate and whatnot and you go up the ladder into the what you would call a, like an attic sort of thing the significance of that room well, I was actually surprised on the stream I did was lost with a few people and we all will know this and I should say most of our listeners do but for just the, those that don't that is actually the room where they pull the wings off the dragonfly because mm. mm. they, uh, they even replicate like the camera angle from the movie it's like a one time only camera angle oh, wow. when, you, when you stand in front of the tub that they put the dragonfly in you get the same angle from the movie the window behind them and I think it only does it the once what a great touch got all the portraits in there and the, the defaced Alexander's portrait which was a nice touch as well environmental details there people say it's bland but it's there it is yeah. there it is there. <laughs> it is there it just seems a bit of an inconvenience though alright we need to go for our board meeting right, hold on we need to, <laughs> we need to go into the music player of that box put these gems in there did someone bring the jewels from the tiger downstairs oh damn today? I didn't I, got... oh, I only bought the red one I need to go back down and get them I will reiterate what people said earlier that this game does feel like the most world breaking of probably all the classic in terms of that kind of thing. The implausibility of the geography and things like that and the access. But it does give it a unique charm and as we're kind of coming to the end of the game I couldn't help but have a huge smile on my face playing this game. I think it is a culmination of the of the original trilogy into one big bloated survival horror kind of pre-rendered, I mean it's not pre-rendered, but you know a pre-rendered background type game and you can't help but like it because it's got so much it's got so much associated with it. You know all the RE2-esque noises and sound effects it's got all the right characters with Claire and Chris combining and it's got RE3 type BOWs with the hunters and the worms and you've even got kind of like nemesis type thing with the, with the tire and stuff it's just it just hit ticks so many boxes that you can't help but have a good time so um, I, I do give it a bit of a pass for a lot of the uh, backtracking and stuff I suppose it's only fair to ask then Steve how many deaths guys <laughs> I will start proceedings with a bit of two <laughs> I have to take literally three health cans into that meeting. First of all, you've got to obviously immediately do the quick turn. The minute you start running, he gets you immediately, doesn't he? And, and unless you're fine, I think that's an instant death. I had to use two full health ray cans in order to get out of there alive. Or Robert talked me through um, the dodge. 
that you can do where you actually run behind him Dangerous. and then lead him out oh. of the room. It, we, it took me two attempts to get it right and I still fucked it up on my successful one and got hit once. It's possible to get not hit at all. Basically, you run towards him, go behind, face it or back the way you need to go and pause just very briefly. He kind of swings awkwardly as he turns around at you and then you can run underneath and run straight, basically. And then the time it takes him to get around and get close to you, you can get all the way to the door cutscene. But it's pretty easy to screw it up to the point now where I just take the two hits. It's just easier. I'll just take the health with me. I've usually got an abundance of health. I'll make sure I'm fully healed beforehand, as George very well alluded to. If you're not in full health, you can't get killed. And just take the two hits. I can survive the fat T. Veronica lizard with an axe without dying, but can I get a, a security card out of a glass ball without dying? <laughs> oh, God, I forgot. Yes. Rob, you, you, yeah. you had uh, a good experience with that. <laughs> I feel your mind was mentally crushed. Yeah. I just knew. I even wrote. I wrote in the chat before and I was like, I just know I'm going to fuck this up. I just know. I, I just had this gut feeling. I was like, no, I can't remember this run, what I'm supposed to do. I was unaware that it's actually not really on a timer. It's just it's almost no. like sensitivity so I'm afraid I just didn't have any issues at all and I, I don't know if that's down to PS2 version I'm watching your version it's hilarious because, <laughs> quite frankly yeah. but in a good way in, in, in an educational way because I yeah he I, had some intricate ways of like running into the cell behind it and then running back across the cell <laughs> oh I've been there I've been there <laughs> the way that I understand so having watched what Sean once he's rolled the ball out he runs through and goes and grabs the ball and then triggers the trap and then by walking under it and walking back and then puts the ball underneath which then crushes and he can immediately go run in and grab the card why that works I don't know that's just weird there's no timing situation where that makes sense so what I found the easiest way for me to do it was to yeah, to use the pressure plate to basically trigger it so you've got more time when it's just gone it seems so I run through to the cell which doesn't set it off because you've got that extra bit of time but not quite long enough to be able to pick up the card it seems and then I run back through the second time which then sets it off and then if I do a quick turn and quickly run straight over and I've got more than enough time to pick up the car and then I don't get crushed and that seems to be the safe like legitimately the safest way of doing because I never have to put myself at risk but I'll Isn't never it? forget and in five years time when I somehow end up <laughs> replaying this again for some reason I'll get crushed again because that's it's, what always happens. it's almost like if it's in its like return as it is rising animation if you actually set the thing properly it's almost like it pauses it and then resumes it yep. when you're able to move again so it gives you that extra half second or so well once you've kind of got out of there and brought everything together you, you're ready to face the threat that is Alexia the puzzle's neat I like the way you've got to reassemble the dragonfly yes you've got to find all the wings oh, don't you I never thought about that that's close yeah, yeah. it's re- yeah, reverse of the way yeah. it worked at Rockford yeah. mm. you saw the video of them pulling the wings off and you use the body as a key and then this one you get the body back and then you put the wings back on and you use yeah. that as a key it's almost like you're undoing what, what they've created and I kind of well, like it symbol, yeah. Yeah. and you you actually, you never told the password is Veronica. I mean, I remember doing it the first time, just guessing. It's in the uh, it, file. And also, the document that you can get with Chris is called the code Veronica something. something. I can't remember. Passwords rolled up in the statue in the art room, Nick. That's probably is that- okay. <laughs> 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 That would be why. That would be why. So you come back into that kind of main 
uh, area and you are greeted with with Alexia who's kind of recovered there was a little teaser scene earlier with her kind of waking up and walking and whatnot and she's fully healed now people have said I think in our Discord people were talking about whether she can go back into human form at that point whether she was actually going back into full human or was she just staying in her kind of let's just call it her tyrant state for argument's sake a lot of the implication for that comes from Steve because mm. when Steve goes to die he turns back from this giant monster to almost normal yes yeah so- that's caused so much problems you know in, in terms of the virology and what's going on there when really I think I'm sure you all agree it, it's just a mechanic isn't it so that they can have that emotional scene at the end yeah. uh, mm. which probably wouldn't land very well if it, he was know. a giant monster <laughs> yes <laughs> you know, I, I love you Claire it'll be <laughs> <laughs> so what was that Steve <laughs> what was that <laughs> can't, can't understand Steve <laughs> It's nice to see Claire and Chris together up on, on that kind of area. And I thought all the scenes with Chris and Claire are really well handled in this. Even though it had only been two years, it felt like we'd been literally waiting years for like that kind of thing to happen. Yeah. Characters actually meeting each other across games was nice. You know, main characters from two different games like United in, in this one. And I felt this was one of the first series in video games that kind of juggled its characters so well the other part that's really important and we're going back to that symbolism and talking about like the ants and you know putting the wings and back on the dragonfly the whole thing about this game is siblings like, yeah that's a really important key to this whole game and so it pays off well that they were able to round these characters out believable yeah. siblings therefore it gives us counterbalance to the weirdness that is the um ashford's and Alexia even kind of comments on that, doesn't she, when she, she refers to them as genetically inferior siblings. Siblings, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, in the end, when they resolve, they become peers. They obviously are the superior. And then you have, of course, the, the Alexia fight, where my opinion of that changed enormously when someone said, bring out the bow gun again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 I knew that was coming. <laughs> it's the, the weapon of choice, it really is. It takes, it's 15, I think, and that's it. But it, uh, we counted it. You counted it on my stream. It yeah. was six seconds. Six seconds. Unbelievably that's what you said. quick. That's what you said. There is another trick. There's two tricks to killing her quick. You could, if you stand right next to um, the blob and then fire, I think, three just bought a standard grenade rounds, that kills her. Wow. There's definitely two quick tricks to killing her. That and the, uh, obviously, the six I guess, that, I guess that makes sense because each explosive round is broken up to the shell yeah. parts and they're probably the equivalent of one bolt each. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I, I assume everyone does it quite quickly now because of that. Yeah. learning that yeah. trick it's just all over. Yeah, I remember trying to fight that stage the first time I played the game, like 2000. It's tricky like, because of the things that oh, keep jumping on you. Yeah, and, and then her swiping these big tentacle things and knocking you over or knocking you down, hitting the ground, and even if you're not being hit, it still shakes you down, you know, off a little bit. So, And I really like the, the metamorphosis that she goes under. It, it makes sense that she's becoming the Queen Ant and, of course, Flying Ant type scenario where she just then emerges from the blob as this flying B.O.W., something we've never really seen at that point. It's a bit unfortunate, actually, that we then have to get the linear launcher. So often the rocket launches. So, so often the rocket, with, exactly. Let's go with something a little bit different. It takes a while because she moves so quickly. It depends because I've, I've one of the times I've played this, and not in the recent times, but I remember one time I literally just grabbed the launcher and went and aimed it, and she just have and fired, and it just happened to be while she flew through, yeah, <laughs> and first. immediately just well, oh, cool, she's dead. Okay, cool, yep, awesome. First let's time go. I ever played it, I hit the first time. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, that's oh, it. Yeah, I um, it. it was yeah. director. 
of the cutscenes, I just think did great work because I, I I love like how the music swells and um, you get the music break and then the linear launcher drops down and like deploys and you can I think it's it's oh, a I, really masterfully done sequence. Yeah, I love that little scene of the the, the music hitting that crescendo just as the dials spin out and then the yeah. ghost, it, you know, it goes kunk chink as it comes out. It's great. So you take you take it down, you get a nice video, and then of course the X version then suddenly intercuts with uh, a rather quite, quite lengthy cut with Wesker, the final confrontation between Chris and Wesker. You can see where it's cut. Quite yeah. It doesn't make quite a lot of sense suddenly. Chris then kind of running back to the lift. I'm not sure if they flipped the scene to make it more logical because he kind of think he runs past it to get to the ice bit. And... No, no, no. They no, cut no, the FMV shots. And they cut the FMV shot. Oh, I see. Do we like the Wesker Chris confrontation? Uh, I oh, yeah. absolutely adored it uh, back in the day. We'll ignore the fact that the timer that you um, stops miraculously for it because you only have five minutes left to fight Alexia, and their fight seems like ten minutes. You've got to have the classic villain dialogue, don't you? Yeah. So, but I think it's a masterful sequence. It made Wesker quite grounded as well compared to say how he's in five. He's uh, a bit of fire at, at waist height suddenly is a preventative measure to stop him from getting you know until next time <laughs> I like that I wanna and it's like you, uh, could, you uh, could jump over that you've seen you jump over higher earlier in the game uh, yeah we've seen you earlier yeah. jump over the over a wall yeah I thought that too it was just like they needed a way to end it I do love that bit where he's like you know talking about the power that he's gained and then he just does that massive uppercut to Chris who sends him you know sends him flying backwards it's... the dialogue's exquisite as well I mean I, I just really loved all the surviving member of stars stuff you know I thought that was great and the actual um staging of the fight scene is very very similar to Arnold's final fight with the Predator. Fight starts with in Predator with Arnold swinging a branch at the Predator and it breaks on his arm and Wesker like blocks the lead pipe the same way. There's then a sequence where like Predator just punches Arnold a lot which is quite similar to Wesker doing it and then obviously Chris drops all the girders on top of Wesker Arnold drops the big log onto the Predator and you get the same shot pretty much of like Chris in the foreground and the girders moving behind him and they do that in Predator as well the log moves in the background so it's, it's staging of it is very similar I almost wonder whether it is meant to be like a very loose homage did everyone think um, when we saw Wesker again in a subsequent game he was going to be like permanently burned because I did I thought that was a like a big character moment yeah I thought he would be burned yeah because he looks at the camera doesn't he straight on and he's like ah you know and, and we know of course I suppose because the expedition does imply he's, he's afraid of fire and of course, five carries on with that, with the kind of the Ouroboros yeah. being, you know, the kind of weak, fire weak to fire type thing. Yeah, it's a shame actually, but they obviously had to keep his perfect face. So they couldn't. <laughs> yeah. But maybe the implication too that if he can heal from potential death, that obviously he's going to overcome being burnt on the face a little bit. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that does actually conclude our playthrough of Resident Evil Co. Veronica. Chris makes it heroically back to the VTO. He gets literally flying into action and lands on the. Uh, on the front of it the plane. Quite, it seems quite jovial considering he just got slammed against the front of that. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a great shot though, isn't it? It's a good it shot. Good. And then it, it's a bit cringe there. Claire's like... <laughs> <laughs> How did oh, she go, Nick? Yeah, we won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and the most ineffective nuclear explosion ever as Umbrella Corps. I remember saying this at the time, the Umbrella Corps thing, I was like, that explosion, there's no way that thing is dead. And again, re-watching it, I'm like, clearly that's decimated. Well, there we go. Look, 20 glorious years and we end the bloody podcast speaking about Umbrella Court. <laughs> wrong with you people? There... On that bombshell, we would wish Curve Veronica a very happy 20 glorious years being in everyone's lives. Who knows what the next 
five to ten years holds for Code Veronica will we see a remake who knows but I hope everyone has enjoyed our retrospective playthrough it's probably gone on a tad longer than we anticipated we thought after our lengthy Resident Evil 3 one it wasn't going to be quite as long because it's such a linear path but as you can see there is so much to talk about it's a long game and um, there's lots of different elements and the fantastical to the to the ridiculous to the sublime and of course there's always lots of differing opinions but we hope we've done it justice and as we celebrate 20 years dig out your old game and see how you get on so on that note we now turn our attentions to the brand new season of neptune's biohazard quiz for the past eight years and five seasons we have brought you groundbreaking lore in-depth analysis game reviews and high quality content we've also brought you untold controversies countless tales of underhand tactics all in aid of the quiz Uh, I'd just like to announce everybody that uh, this is zero points for me this week. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> so my nomination person said seven, but I didn't agree with seven. I said it was 17, and then you said it was 17. I didn't want people to think I'm cheating by just saying the same number that someone else has said. So I just, just the next number that sounds similar to 7 is 17. I swear I did not cheat, yo! <laughs> Quite frankly, if, if we only got one point and that's the winning score, then we're not doing our jobs right and we're all going to have to hand in our biohazard cards. <laughs> Welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Welcome, one and all. The scores have been reset. The slate is clean, as they say. We all remember, uh, Rob won the most number of quizzes last season, but the overall winner of season five was George, your uh, success last podcast. So, Have you noticed I go very silent when you say that? Obviously, out of embarrassment. And... But all the scores have been reset. So everyone's got a chance to do well again. And because we are celebrating Code Veronica, this is a Code Veronica-themed quiz. Let's play season six of Neptune's Bar has a quiz. So question number one, who is the chief of the prison guard room? Okay, question number two, what do you find under the plant pot in the Antarctic terminal? <laughs> <laughs> I can even offer you up even more information because okay. I actually thought that you were going to ask a question about that. I won't ruin it, but that asked even more specific information about that. So I'll say that now so I'm not accused of cheating. I can, <laughs> I can, I can, go, fur I can go further with that. Answer. Good. Uh, question number three, which outpost and how far away were Steve and Claire aiming before electricity? 
Galaxia recaptured them. Is this a two-pointer? Half a point each. Question number four. Name the three locations in the game where you encounter the Black Widow B.O.W.s. Not talking about the giant one. And finally, question number five. What is the ID number on the umbrella card you need in the palace? (laughs) That's mine and Sean's favourite question. (laughs) Fucking hell, after all this time. (laughs) All those years. You know, that was my trick card, that was. Make sure you don't get it wrong. (laughs) Fucking hell, you imagine it. So there are the five questions. Join us after this one. We'll run through those answers. Remember... There was science. There was science behind the classic games. Crap science, yes, but science. There was sense. Why has this tyrant got a pair of underpants on? Reality. Nick writes the questions, but he doesn't know the answers. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the whole game is just one big missed opportunity, isn't it? Rebirth. The official podcast view on its canon is it's not canon until it is or not. (laughs) (laughs) The Resident Evil Podcast. Brother! Brother! To let the community know the truth. Gain this cannon. COW's in space! <laughs> and there's Nick oh, trying to sell the fucking hundred pound, the fucking hundred pound <laughs> DVD version of the original on eBay. How did that sell for you, Nick? Uh, that did not sell. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. The controls were shit, yep. there was no story. It just didn't appeal to me at all. And yeah, it's so. Oh, no, I don't even like talking about it. Wasn't there a dinosaur tyrant in one of her books as well? Inspired by Underworld. I can't remember. Probably not the best person to ask, but there we go. So, yeah, thank you. The you the novel guy. Yeah, you are, no, the, best, you are no. the best person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed yeah. to talk about car and motorcycle manufacturers on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that, not that story. I've never ever played the Code Veronica battle game. Have you? <gasps> oh, wow. Okay, that's a shocker, even for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh, these, these online friendships are paper thin. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I did pick Sonny because he said don't put me on, and now he's saying don't put me yeah. on, I can't be that surprised. So if you see an image of the wolf pack being stood behind Jill, and it doesn't now validate Operation Raccoon City because it's a fucking collectible card game. Oh, I even find the idea that you can walk into a room and you can hear the breathing. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh shit. Oh my fucking days, have I got to do this again? The so-called tank controls were very tanky. I think if anybody looks at Seven and says it's not Resident Evil enough, needs to seriously sit down and re-watch Vendetta. Yes. And, and just ask yourself that question again. Is it Resident Evil enough? What have we done to upset Capcom that much? 
Um, we, we made this podcast. Let's start back with question number one. Welcome back. So who is the chief of the prison guard? I've actually had some comments that George should be asked all the questions first. That's... <laughs> Am I allowed to ask who, who put the suggestion in? No, that's confidential. So, George, what's your answer? Sorry, I'm just trying to think who hates me the most. Uh, it's a long list. I can't think. Obviously, I know Bob was one of the detainees, but I presume his name's in a file and I don't know. Okay. Uh, start Um I'm not too sure on this one because I seem to recall the file only anybody can only think of the name Bob from the file like uh, like George is is it Rodrigo is he not the chief of the prison guard okay uh, Rombie oh, I was going to say Rodrigo because I can't think of anyone else okay Batman I think it's a gentleman called Paul Steiner what <laughs> it's uh, talking about the metal compounds at the start of the game he needs security clearance to get in and I'm pretty sure he's mentioned there as the do you know, do you know what fucks me off is I remembered the names I memorised them while I was playing it of the two fucking Carls and it hasn't come up. Carl Grisham and Carl Redhill. Where were those questions, Nick? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to pick all your questions. Um, would it surprise you to let you know that that's a point to Batman? It is Paul Stein. <laughs> Well done. well done. Well done. Question number two. What do you find under the plant pot in the Antarctic terminal? George. It's a key and it's made by a firm called Radical. Right, what what key is it? Oh, shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, it's the mining room key. Batman. I just had key. I mean, I initially wrote down backtracking for all the answers for all five <laughs> questions, but uh, except for the first one, obviously. Honestly, I just had key. I can't remember which key it is. I thought it might be the crane key. Okay, crane key. Interesting. Rumby. Uh, machine room key. Machine room key. And stars tyrant. Machine room key. Oh, no. It is the machine room key. Oh, come on. Did I get half a point for writing? <laughs> no. You just said what I said. My heart sunk for George there because I, I don't doubt he's wrong, but that was just like so much detail that was so <laughs> like, unnecessary for the question. <laughs> Question number three, which outpost and how far away was Stephen Clare aiming before Alexia recaptured them? George? I don't know. This is in Steve's dialogue cutscene. That's I, right. I've got no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, Rombie? It's an Australian base. G'day, mate. And it's uh, seven miles away. Okay, uh, Batman? Outpost 31. No, it's not. It's um, Australian base, <laughs> seven miles away. Okay, start turn. This is an Australian observation base about seven miles away. Correct, it is an Australian outpost and it is seven miles away. So points there to everyone bar George. Question number four. Name the three locations in the game you encounter the Black Widow B.O.W.s. George? This is bullying. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know the three. I'm not going to... I can think of two of them. But well, I then, that's fine. Well, that's fine, because if we get two out of three, there may be half a point up. I, I, I'm really bad at describing the areas that you're in. You're just outside the save room, you know, where, where, where you um, get the, the battery pack. Right, yeah. And then I know there's some in the sewers, almost that resemble when you go down in the sewers in Resident Evil 2, but I can't think where that area... Wait, where is that area? I can't think. It's much later on, so I, I can't think. I mean, you get... Sorry, you get the little ones after that battle. It's the Black Widow. So I'll say that as the third area. Okay, uh, Batman? The corridor outside the save room with Chris outside the hangar where the planes are. There is some in the corridors underground where you go to fight the Albinoid, oh, yes. and... There is some in the BOW storage room in the Antarctic base. Okay, start starting. I got a uh, bow room where you get the barcode sticker, the Harrier hallway, I called it, and the Albanoid corridor, which is like the where you go down the ladder uh, after the, the diorama of the facility. Rumby? Yeah, I've got the same three in yeah, the bow weapons room where they were housed with those stickers, the hall outside the volcano room, or the save room where you get the battery, and the hallway 
between the diorama and the albinoids layer. Absolutely, you're spot on there. Uh, George, I can't quite give you, because there isn't little ones in the... No, it's poor. The fact that I didn't even get the ones in the BOW... Yeah, you got is, half. Is, you got half, is, because you said yeah. the, the underground... The, where you meant the sewers, I'm, yeah, give, I'm, I'm giving you... the albinoids. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm giving you that, but, so you get half. But I'm actually I'm, I'm embarrassed I didn't get the BOW, which is where you first encountered them. That's terrible. Yeah, there we go. And finally, question number five. What is the ID number on the umbrella card you need in the palace? George? NTC0394. Stars turn? NTC0394. Batman? Yeah, I had NTSC0394, N- which I know is the American thing. I know it's wrong. I just knew it was something similar to that. Uh, Rombie? Uh, NTC0394. There we go. Uh, correct. The answer is NTC0394. So all points there for everyone except Batman who put an NTSC there. So let's have a look at those final scores and true to form, we have joint winners of this podcast celebrating a rare victory. (laughs) (laughs) Stars Tyrant with four. Thank you. Sharing that with Rombie who started the way he means to go on with four points. In second place is Batman with three points and George uh, with one and a half points. So that does conclude the quiz. Join us uh, for the next podcast when we'll have some more questions. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our Happy Birthday, Co-Veronica podcast. We hope you've all enjoyed it. Next up, well, we're going to be doing our final preview of Resident Evil 3 Remake. As we said in the news, we've just had the the trailer, so we're going to be having a final in-depth discussion on what we want to see, what we don't want to see, where do we want the remake to take us, that kind of thing, just as a kind of big final preview just before the game drops. So we've got that to look forward to, and obviously by the time this comes out as well, we'll be very tantalisingly close to our uh, release of uh, ResentEvilPodcast.com, so get excited for that. But on that note, it is goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Stars Tyrant. Goodbye from me, George Trevor. And goodbye from me, Robbie. last thing one last thing John did you try the battle game I didn't I didn't (laughs) oh